There is a place where fears and fantasies get weighed with substance alone. Legends and lores are examined in fresh light. Conspiracy theory meets conspiracy fact. Abandon your defenses. Embrace the possibilities. Step beyond the threshold into other realms. You're listening to Threshold Radio. I'm Anthony K. With me is Sam Ronto and John Stevenson. Today's show, we have Richard Crow, Jose S. Camellia, Farlin Huff, and much, much more. So stay tuned. We're going to start off right away with Richard Crow right after this quick commercial break. TheEdgeOnAir.com and Thresholds into Other Realms present Thresholds Radio, a weekly show dedicated to all things paranormal. Join your hosts Sam Moranto, John Stevenson, and Anthony Kopp Fridays from 10 to 11 p.m. for an expedition beyond your most unexplainable dreams. With new guests every week, Thresholds Radio will bend your views on reality. That's Friday nights 10 to 11 on TheEdgeOnAir.com. For more info on Thresholds Radio, visit UFO-info. Welcome back to Threshold Radio. With us now is Richard Crow, a good friend of mine for many years. Rich, how are you doing, my friend? Very good, Sam. Richard, you're renowned for being the first full-time ghost hunter uh, in the Chicagoland region. And uh, give us a little insight as far as all this uh, uh, took place. I know, but the world, as far as this end, of uh, sure. they don't know. Well, uh, as you know, Sam, I'm a product of the south side of Chicago. Yay! And uh, through my life, it seems I was just being pushed in this direction. When I uh, was growing up along Garfield Boulevard, 55th Street in Chicago, I would, uh, as a good Catholic kid, be an altar boy and hear stories at Visitation Parish, the nuns and priests, about haunted cemeteries and uh, churches and things of that nature. And uh, that sort of put me in a, in a, in a, tra- a trajectory there in that area. Then I went to uh, Quigley South for three years, where my Latin professor was Father John J. Nicola, and he not only taught Latin, but he talked about the diabolical possession and exorcism, and he was an authority in a case from Maryland that became the basis for the novel The Exorcist by William Peter Blatty, and uh, then he was the advisor in the film uh, by Billy Friedkin, the uh, film version of The Exorcist, and he also wrote the introduction to the Amityville Horror. Well, I couldn't hack the seminary for more than three years, so I went to Gage Park High School for my senior year, and that's smack dab of the heart of Resurrection Mary country. So I began to hear stories about Resurrection Mary big time from fellow classmates. And when I went to DePaul University, I learned a dirty little secret, Sam, that uh, the best way to get good grades is to write about uh, to your term papers on topics your professor doesn't know about. So I would write uh, on all kinds of uh, supernatural topics, whether it be English literature, geography, what have you, and was so notorious for that that my geography professor, Dr. Richard Hauck, would ask me to put together a tour back in 1973 of the um, uh, haunted geography of Chicago. That tour was the first tour in the world by bus of haunted places, and uh, took everybody by surprise. 
by having a 200-person uh, waiting list by the time we took off that day. And uh, that's how it all began, basically. I'm just uh, go, keep going ahead, keep going forward here with new projects and uh, new discoveries. And uh, as you know, there's a world of uh, possibilities out there. It just keeps uh, getting more and more intriguing. One thing I find so amazing about you, not just because you're a good friend, but uh, every time we get together, there's always something new uh, that you've encountered. And uh, even from the historical perspective, I always point out that you know, Rich is not just very good paranormal and um, uh, ghost hunting expert as far as locations and history, history in general of the region. You really know your history, my friend. I'm so impressed with that. Well, you have to know your history, I believe, to get the uh, background and put it all together and figure out what's going on. And uh, being a person in love with history, and uh, actually my concept of history is that ghosts are living history. And even though I might uh, have not been able to met Abraham Lincoln in life because he was dead in 1865, that doesn't mean I might not run into his ghost someday. <laughs> That's true. Well, you might not see him in the future. Yes. <laughs> now, um, we both share a, a educational lineage of Quigley South there, and you've, you've mentioned Father Nicola. Uh, I heard so many rumors about different things, about Father Nicola throwing a Ouija board out the window and blowing up into bursting into flames and actually going into a cantatonic uh, trance or something on stage. One you know, the, here's an interesting man who, who uh, obviously had uh, been involved in and things that we could just we could only just imagine um, but per se what do you know to be factual about some of these stories that I hear about the man well it's long out of print but Father Nicola did publish a book years ago called uh, Diabolical Possession and Exorcism and it was published actually by an Illinois uh, publishing house Tan Books out of Rockford oh, yeah. and uh, if you want the, uh, his side of things that would be the place to start get a copy of that now, I say it's out of print, but I'm sure you can track one down through uh, Amazon, through their uh, used book uh, search and all that. But, uh, yeah, he's uh, been living in Maryland now for quite a few, uh, quite a few years. have not been in touch with him lately. But uh, he was a big role model for me. Now, your first tour, again, what year was that? Uh, that was, on, it was in 1973, and the date was October 27. It was a Saturday before Halloween that year, and uh, it was from DePaul's uh, Lincoln Park campus. And uh, I'll never forget looking out the window and watching all these people with disappointed faces who couldn't get on because it was jam-packed. And that's what caused me to uh, uh, just take a, a you know chance here, if you will, and hire two coaches of my own. And they ran in December that year. I filled those up with the uh, list from the uh, ones who were turned down from the DePaul tour. So although DePaul sponsored the first tour, and although I'm a liberal arts uh, major, I certainly had some business sense when I said, give me the mailing list, and um, that's when I started my own tour business. Now, how many uh, tours later do you think this has been that you're still creating and recreating new tours? How many tours do you think you've actually given? Uh, well, how many uh, tours altogether? Yes. Oh, my gosh, that's pretty good... Uh, I should sit down and figure that out because I was thinking of contacting the Guinness Book of World Records. I've probably told most more ghost stories, I should say, than any other living person, considering I tell 13 stories per tour. And um, 
Uh, in some years, uh, I was doing 176 uh, uh, tours. You know, wow. right now it's it's not as uh, uh, as many. Uh, right now, I'm probably going to be doing. I uh, uh, try to get in about 100 tours per year, um, but with the economy, like I say, it's uh, and it's not the uh, uh, how many you give, but uh, of course the size. You can do a lot of small tours, but uh, you wear yourself out. So I like to do uh, bigger tours for uh, 44, 54, 68 people as opposed to doing a bunch for 22 or so. Now, your own personal experience, have you personally had any um, ghostly encounters, let's say, on either the tours or or just on your own, just wandering about? Well, I, I tell you, Sam, when it happens on a tour, that is really uh, something because it's not just you having experience and you're worried about it, but when you've got all these other witnesses, then that's really uh, uh, icing on the cake, so to speak. And um, it was in 2007 that I was doing one of my walking tours in Chinatown. You know how much I really like Chinatown for its ghostly possibilities. Mm -hmm. And we were in a store called the Donkey, and we're leaving the store. And I had previously prepped everybody with the tale about this little Chinese lady ghost who looks to be about 80 years of age, five foot tall, silver hair, cut it a bob, and uh, she's a big smile on her face, and she's seen... Uh, usually in a burgundy jacket and hood. Well, uh, we're leaving the store, and uh, there at the mailbox, just a few steps out of the, the front door, there was this little lady. I, I mean, uh, they actually, uh, somebody grabbed me by the, the sleeve and pointed her out to me. And sure enough, there was this lady, five foot tall, silver hair, cut in a bob, looked to be about 80 years of age, big smile on her face. And uh, the only thing wrong was that she didn't have on the burgundy jacket and hood because she's invariably wearing that. But this is what's fascinating. It was an April day, and it was warm. So it was too warm to be wearing a winter-type jacket and hood. But she had a burgundy jacket and hood, and she was hugging that to her chest. And I'm dancing around trying to look her in the eye, and she uh, kept averting my gaze. You know, it's almost like trying to get the leprechaun, you know, look at the leprechaun in the eye and... Uh, capture him and uh, she kept turning her head and then I was distracted for just a moment and boom she was gone oh my now some of the other tours that you take are not just local you go to other locations and give us some ideas of, of what some of these tours uh, where some of these tours have been and uh, what you've encountered there or what these tours entail right well I've done uh, Salem Massachusetts I've done uh, New Orleans and I've done Gettysburg. Gettysburg, that's and one I, I'll tell you, Gettysburg is really interesting to me because I've, of course, been a Civil War buff for a long time. And when we were in Gettysburg, it's not large enough to uh, take care of all of our people, but a number of us took rooms uh, at the Farnsworth House. And the Farnsworth House, if you ever get to Gettysburg, is the building that has all the bullet holes in it. And uh, you can see all these little uh, white splotches here, and you look close, and that's the bullet holes. And um, it's haunted by a number of different uh, possible uh, uh, ghosts there. Although the ghost I encountered uh, on my stay was actually a post-Civil War ghost from about 1900 or so. And I was staying on the second floor, second room from the front. And uh, I was out all day, very tired, jumped into bed. And uh, then I started hearing footsteps outside the door. And it wasn't any of our people, because we were out all day, everybody was beat. 
nobody's walking around, and it just continued for probably at least an hour and a half or more. And uh, I'm debating to myself, do I get up, open the door, look out there and see what's going on, or uh, should I just wait here for something else to happen next or whatever? And I just stayed in bed listening to the footsteps back and forth, pacing back and forth, until I uh, fell asleep. <laughs> now, I found out that the footsteps pacing back and forth uh, come from an uh, incident happened about 1900 when a local boy was hit by a horse and wagon out in front of this building. And uh, he was severely injured. He was brought into the uh, bedroom up there, the room actually next to where I was staying. And he was being cared for by a doctor. The doctor was trying to save his life. The doctor was going on all night long uh, trying to save him, but the boy died early the next morning. And during the time the doctor was with that boy trying to save his life, the distraught father of that little boy was pacing back and forth, back and forth in the hallway. And that's exactly what I heard. Hmm. Yes, it seems many of these places that have encountered such uh, horrible, traumatic events seem to repeat themselves. Do you feel that hauntings are a... um, a let's say for instance a recording in time oh like recordings in time yeah yes um you know what the more i learn about ghosts the more i learn i don't know yeah and there's not an easy answer okay Uh, i would say definitely some of the ghosts that are classic ghost stories around america do fit the category that you just mentioned just like a replay over and over again like a loop that plays over and over again uh, out, of, out of space, out of time, whether it be just auditory, whether it be visual as well. Um, yeah, that's definitely certain cases. But then again, there are certain ghosts that definitely can uh, communicate back and forth with us. And those ghost stories definitely show an intelligence. They show the survival after death. So there's different types. And um, you've got to just call each particular case on its own merits. Now, I know you've spent some time down in New Orleans, and and do you still do the New Orleans tour? I have not done New Orleans lately. Ever since 9-11, the airlines are very, very hard to deal with. And I have it available, and uh, I've been talking to some park districts about doing that. But uh, I'm not about to uh, uh, go out on a limb here, so to speak, financially, and uh, hold a set number of seats. Because the airlines are very hard to deal with. They want names very far in advance now, and uh, it just doesn't work that way with my kind of uh, clientele. Did you or but, did uh, you not have a have another tour that, or were you planning a tour to uh, Ireland or something at one time? Or Yeah, I've got one written. Once mm-hmm. again, I've got it written, and I've got, uh, uh, you know, it's there in the can here for anybody who'd be interested. Mm-hmm. What I'm actually thinking of doing, Sam, just based on the uh, hardship here with trying to coordinate the air and the hotel and everything else is I think I'm just going to be uh, offering uh, uh, tours in these different exotic locations but you get there yourself through your own uh, airline uh, 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 setup and just meet me at these places to start the tours. That so that's definitely why I be think the I'm going to be doing here in the next year or so. That's the smarter way to that do it. That would be ideal. You just tell them to meet you there at a certain time if they want to be on it. Yeah. And the other thing is, you get some good uh, publicity through. You could just have that uh, given to heck to many a travel agency. They would love it because the bottom line is, each one independently could book it and say, "Oh, by the way, you're going here. 
here's something else you may have uh, an interest in. Yeah, and then also, Sam, I've had uh, quite a few people that work for the airlines who uh, uh, made their own arrangements, so uh, this will be easier here in the future. The reason why I mention Ireland, I know you have an interest in the we people. And uh, from your own research and, and uh, looking into this subject, what is your take on it? Uh, that, that's a fascinating topic. And um, I don't know if you've ever read much by uh, um, Jacques Vallée. Yes. Who was also, uh, he was a good friend of the late Dr. J. Allen Hynek. Yes. And Jacques Vallée was uh, coordinating the uh, idea that uh, these ferry sightings, if you will, uh, from the British Isles and elsewhere in Europe, uh, definitely have uh, very strong correspondence to UFO reports. That is true. And uh, Vallée is a very interesting guy. And he's still alive, although he's quite elderly now. And uh, his uh, book, Passport to Magonia, that was a, uh, a very classic, groundbreaking work. And I know you're the big UFO guy. I'm sure you've probably uh, um, done some reading here into uh, Jacques Vallée's studies over the years. Yes, he has a new book out. And, uh, in fact, some of the excerpts of which are encompassed in, a, in a, one of my um, new presentations on medieval UFOs. Um, very, very interesting book, very serious research, and um, I, I can't wait to see if he would do more work along the historical perspectives of, of, of uh, the potential, uh, the UFO court, you know, UFOs, UAPs, and throughout history. I think that's very important. And the other thing is, you know, he, he crosses the borderline here and, and encompasses myth and leg legends and lures. And, and this is something we just want to discount because, you know, it's, all oh, our, our ancestors didn't know squat. Well, if they didn't know squat, we wouldn't be here today. You know, they, they somehow... Well, I mean, it's, it's always easy to put down our ancestors, but uh, how do you explain the, the pyramids of Egypt and the uh, Stonehenge and some of the other uh, constructions that... Uh, uh, are, are just amazing here. And Obviously, somebody knew got, something in the past. And you got to remember, too, Sam, that back in the old days, before there was television and video games and uh, uh, all that other stuff, uh, the TV of the period would have been looking to the sky True. and watching uh, the progression of the uh, constellations and everything. So that's why astronomy was so very, very important back in the early days. And the other thing is, the what I find interesting is people still depend upon um, word of mouth and we'll take that over even a, say for instance a photo so uh, the oral tradition I think is entrenched in us uh, and, and, it, and, it's, and it's far stronger than, than we could ever imagine. It's actually true you can tell someone a story and they tend to believe that more even if you show them a picture then yes. they think you faked it. Yes they'll take uh, you know I think the oral tradition is very much uh, entrenched in our um, in our, uh, I don't know, I don't know what you would call it, our, our ancient mindset that that's just there. I don't, I don't know if something could be entrenched, you know, put into us uh, genetically, but it, it seems to tend to to take that over any anything else. And as far as oral tradition, uh, here's a man who knows the oral tradition on on ghosts and paranormal and history and, and legends and lores. Um, I, I encourage you to go out and listen to him any chance you can. Uh, where, where, where is your next speaking engagement? 
Actually, uh, I don't have it all up on my website yet, but if, if you go to ghosttours.com, I'm just about to redo everything. And one that I'm very proud of is the fact that Justice Illinois is celebrating their 100th anniversary in September. Hmm. And I'm going to be the uh, keynote speaker. I'm going to be doing a program on Resurrection Mary and other local ghost stories for Justice. So uh, they, hired, they hired me to be the, uh, the big hatchel here for the anniversary. That's great. Well, we've done a few uh, documentaries together on Resurrection Mary. And, right, uh, and uh, I just... Uh, Constantly run into people here, by the way, who uh, also were involved in our different productions in the past, including a girl that was an extra at Resurrection, uh, at the, at, I should say, at the ballroom when we were filming that one piece for the uh, Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, by the way, speaking of Unsolved Mysteries, Sam, I don't know if you knew this, but um, they have the uh, Best of Unsolved Mysteries, Ghosts, Volume 1, and it does have the Resurrection Mary 15-minute uh, uh, piece that you and I were in. Oh, got to got to remember telling. So that is available. That. You can look it up on Amazon.com, or it's uh, available uh, at better bookstores everywhere. At least borders until they close, I guess. <laughs> but it's the best of unsolved mysteries, Ghosts, Volume One. Uh, any new books in the work? Yeah, I'm working on a number of projects here, but I'm not at liberty to get into more detail. Uh, but I do have quite a bit of material here that I've been working on. Now, problem is that you know I, I always try, try to be a perfectionist, and I. Uh, I don't want to complete anything until I have all the details uh, down, but uh, I've got uh, got some real new in insight here in certain cases around Chicago, and uh, you'll, be, you'll be the first one to know about it, Sam. Well, of course, make sure that you realize that this is a forum that's available to you at any given time. One person I'd like to have you um, meet is John Stevenson, who has a... Um, has a very strong interest in the Bachelor's Grove location and he has uh -huh. uh, bachelors grove hyphen what is it bachelors bachelors hyphen grove.com that's his website and um he has two pictures there that i i would have to say are the best two pictures i've ever seen of anything resembling a ghost i mean it's you could see well, the one's a is, full color crystal clear apparition it's remarkable i mean absolutely full color but yet slightly translucent dressed in old late 1800s like farm clothes it hasn't been uh, shot down by anybody yet very interesting now um where is your favorite haunt in the chicagoland region richard well you know that's sort of like asking a parent what child they like best sam <laughs> i like them all for different reasons and they each has their uh, their strengths their weaknesses Okay, here. But, uh, the most but, frightening know, obviously, location. Obviously, among my favorites to be uh, anything involving Resurrection Mary. And also, I've been, uh, well, as our friend Susan Morawski knows, I've been very much interested in the American Indians and uh, Robinson Family Burial Ground on East River Road. That's very, very fascinating. And also, next year, remember, will be the uh, bicentennial of the War of 1812. Yes. Are you familiar with uh, Cuba Road? Oh, yes. That's one of my uh, favorite Cuba, Cuba Road. Now, the White Cemetery up there is closed at sundown, unfortunately. But uh, uh, I used to drive up and down there uh, on occasion with local people. And uh, the disappearing car phenomena is indeed very, very uh, well documented. You'd, you'd be uh, seeing cars uh, in the distance. And uh, then there's nowhere for them to turn off. And all of a sudden, they're gone. I mean, things of that nature. Yes. Yeah. 
A lot of unusual activity in that report and that respect. A couple weird things happened with me there too as well. How about the Congress Hotel, Richard? You go there? Uh, the Congress? No, I've not used the Congress. The Congress Hotel is very interesting. We yeah. got some amazing things at the Congress, actually. pretty A shadow person that was just absolutely crazy. We couldn't reproduce it in any way. I, I have to, when it, when it comes to uh, putting a tour together, I have to be careful that the uh, places I use are going to be places where I'm not going to lose people. Right. They're going to wander off and get lost on me. Yeah. That's all. That's always a problem. That, that's always bad for a tour. You know, if you start with 50 people, you need to end. So, so much that uh, they just get oblivious to time and space and wander off on me. Uh, it's funny because, uh, as Jack Nicholson said, that's Chinatown. And uh, my bus drivers and I always joke about people wandering off and getting lost in Chinatown. It does seem to do something to people and disorients people in big time. It's easy to get lost in Chinatown. There are so many different things in and around the area. It seems like every place has something a little more to it. And, of course, there's a history to anything, every speck of place on this earth. And uh, much of what you do is is greatly uh, ignored in the, in the general sense. And then, of course, it's, it's just uh, taken for uh, an entertainment value. But... You've done some extremely good research. Your books are great, and uh, you're a vital, um, a vital a part of the paranormal research uh, as far as the historical. And um, you do a lot as far as for uh, the community, too. You're, you're a part of the uh, Chicago, uh, uh, what is it called, the Bureau of... Um, or the what? What organization is it there for? Oh I, well, I think you're thinking of the Chicago Convention and Tourism Bureau. Yes. And the Chicagoland Chamber of Commerce. Yes, you're in. And I'm also those. very proud to be a member of the Chinatown Chamber of Commerce. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, there's very few non-Asians that are members of the Chinatown hmm. Chamber. Hmm. So I was very honored to be allowed into that that very uh, special group. Yeah, we went to. Well, usually every year we get together for your birthday and. So last year, I don't know what happened, but we never got together. And uh, I was on a mission to find snake meat for your friend. And <laughs> boy, oh boy, meat. all of a sudden there was an issue with snake meat across the United States. And uh, God, some of the craziest uh, phone conversations I got into, I tell you. I called up one place and, they, and I was asking, uh, it was down in Texas or something, and uh, I was asking, I says, do you folks have s snake meat or something? And the lady goes, snake meat? And I go, well, yeah, my wife's pregnant. She has cravings. But right down the street, don't they have that? <laughs> oh, not, not as much as you would think. He was looking for a, his friend was looking for quite a bit, actually. <laughs> a quantity of snake meat? A quantity meat? <laughs> of snake meat. What is the purpose or the significance <laughs> of snake meat? In the, uh, the, the Chinese believe that the snake is a uh, uh, hot animal, so that's the kind of thing that you have for soup in the wintertime. So it so affects like, your chi. It, it's like to keep, as, as you know, everything in feng shui is balance and harmony. It's to keep your body in balance and harmony by eating snake meat in the wintertime, and uh, that's to be used then to uh, uh, make sure that your body is uh, able to be in balance with that particular cold time of year. Yeah, we would have snake soup. A friend of ours, a Chinese friend, would make it for us when we were sick little did i know what it was we just ate it my mom made chicken noodle soup like, <laughs> like a normal mom <laughs> the thing about the thing about the snake bait too sam is that it's not the meat uh it's the bones in the snake yes uh that's what they definitely want in the uh, soup 
Yeah, I would never. So they, they, I couldn't they figure need out the what entire they were. the skin snake, so it's got the bones and the flesh. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yum! Actually, it was it was very good. <laughs> I it's like chicken, it. right? I'll take yes. your word for it. <laughs> it was good. Very good. I've had rattlesnake before, actually. Mm-hmm. Tastes like chicken. Chicken. <laughs> but when it comes down to it, I actually prefer chicken. <laughs> I think they ask cannibals what humans taste like. They say pork, I think, <laughs> instead of chicken. I think they call in the in New Guinea, isn't it? They call uh, humans long pigs or something like that. Uh, the cannibals uh, call the human flesh long pig, right? Long pig, yes, yeah. amazing. Oh, that is Gosh. a fun fact for the day. Yeah, about <laughs> it. So, uh, what's on your next uh, adventure? What are you looking to do tours at, or where are you looking to do tours at? Well, right now I'm still uh, putting the summer to bed with my supernatural boat cruises, which is a lot of fun this time of year. Oh, that'd be cool. And then once we hit Labor Day, it's like uh, everything's going to be going crazy. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm just getting everything put on my website this week for the fall season. So uh, everybody should just go to ghosttours.com, and uh, you'll be able to spend some time out it because there's a lot of stuff to see there. And you'll see all the different events and different uh, things that are coming up. All right, well, thank you very much. Richard Crow. everybody, will be back. You're listening to Threshold Radio. TheEdgeOnAir.com and Thresholds into Other Realms present Thresholds Radio, a weekly show dedicated to all things paranormal. Join your hosts Sam Moranto, John Stevenson, and Anthony Kopp Fridays from 10 to 11 p.m. for an expedition beyond your most unexplainable dreams. With new guests every week, Thresholds Radio will bend your views on reality. That's Friday nights 10 to 11 on TheEdgeOnAir.com. For more info on Thresholds Radio, visit UFO-Info. You're listening to Threshold Radio. I'm Anthony Kay. With me is Sam Moranto and John Stevenson. Right now we have Jose Escamilla on the phone with us. Thank you for having me today. This is great. i got some neat things to share with everyone. Fantastic. Well, I won't hold you back. Our favorite guest. Yes. Well, there's a, uh, there's a video that I, just, that I received this past week, and I just sent it to you. I don't know if you've gotten it yet. I sent you a link. But your viewers ought to check this out, man. It's it's a um, it appears to be a, U- a cloud. First of all, it oh, took I saw place that. in the uh, um, the Arab Emirates islands, you know, the uh, over there in Dubai area, whatever. And there's a guy driving, and they're filming this cloud that's in the sky. Now, at first glance, the cloud looks like it's far away, you know, but it's coming down pretty quick. It's coming down really fast. And I'll be doggone, man, this thing lands right in front of the car. It lands on the road there. And after, you know, when you look at it, you go, holy cow, man, the cloud is not far away. It's right there. All right, your perception, you know, it's like an illusion. You know, it's like maybe when we perceive clouds, they look like they're high above, but maybe they're just right there above us, man. (laughs) This thing lands, and it hits this fence, and they're filming it. And as it hits the fence, uh, it slams into the fence pretty pretty quick. You can see the thing uh, separate. I mean, there's a big chunk that just t- takes off and starts walking on the ground, it looks like, you know, scurrying about. There are pieces of it that are just kind of floating about. It sort of looks like cotton candy, yeah. you know, in a machine. You know how it spreads? Right. 
Looks like that. And then the thing stands upright. All right. Oh my. So the guy gets out of the car and he puts the camera on the hood of his car, I guess, and he goes up to it and he puts his hand through it, you know, and kind of shakes it around, and you can tell that it's some kind of, uh, I don't know, it's just really a bizarre looking thing. He pulls his hand out and he kind of shakes it off a little bit, try, tries to drape uh, whatever liquid or substance that he attracted on his hand back onto the object, and then he shakes it off, you know. So it was definitely something that has mass, number one. It's translucent like a, like a cloud. It looks like a cloud. Um, and I don't know if it was alive. Maybe it had a consciousness or not, but maybe it was an aerogel, an air jelly or something. Or camouflaged. It, it no, like you just something. Somebody, I put that it on my Facebook page. It looks like a big piece page. of cotton candy. Like foam. I, yeah, like a foam type thing. Or, um, Are you, you know, at it? Remember, yeah, I've seen it. Now, do yeah, you I remember uh, the uh, angel hair? From UFOs, yeah, angel, angel hair. Angel hair, though. Angel hair was more like a spider web. We had that happen at Roswell. When we now, were imagine that, what it would look like if it were a mast, if it were to yeah. be in a more of a mass. In other words, yeah, a bunch of it together. Yeah, more of a uh, spider web-looking thing or a globs of... Maybe this could be one that's just, uh, you know, totally solid or, you know collected but it's just a very bizarre video and I, I thought you know viewers ought to check it out because you know maybe uh some of the clouds that we perceive above us are these things you know yeah never know maybe it's a trevor james constable critter type of thing you know <laughs> who knows well anyway that's alien pretty cotton curious candy. you know <laughs> trevor james constable is a very interesting individual and you've done a lot of research on him and read his books i'm assuming yeah, he's a friend of mine. Well, he's like my grandfather. He, you know, he had a stroke recently. Oh. Yeah. He's up in his 80s. Now, he has done a lot of research into these sky creatures. Yes. And um, back in 2004, when in the year of the weird, uh, I was dragged into this you know, understanding that there are some other things out there that are natural and live in the sky in as much as potentially the same way things live in the sea. Yes. And uh, this is something that you've done research on with, say, for instance, the rods and other things. Um, give us some idea of some of the things that he has told you about and some of the things that you yourself have experienced. Well, first of all, I met Trevor James Constable through my bringing out the rods phenomena. You know, I met him at a MUFON symposium. Gosh, what year was it? It was 1998, right? And we met and we shared a lot of common commonality in, in, in our research. Uh, it was Trevor James Constable that I based all my research on the rods and UFOs on because he's the guy that was doing things back in the late 50s when the military and our government was trying to figure out how to cover up UFOs here this man is out there filming them with infrared film alright so a lot of the stuff that he filmed man there were rods in it there were rods in the photos there were in the videos there were uh, gigantic cellular looking things they look like amoebas you know and uh, 
his thoughts were this. He says, these things are, you know, they live in the upper atmosphere. They thrive on uh, the ether that's above us, you know, the ether, the, the etheric areas. And his thoughts are that these things are living entities. Now, whether they're intelligent is another thing to, to bargain with. He says maybe they might have the intelligence of a fish or a dolphin or something. You know, it's that kind of a mentality. We don't know if they are a, an alien type of uh, entity that has consciousness and has direct uh, influence on us. There are different varieties that he filmed. He said some of these things look like gigantic eels. And they literally do. I've seen some of the photos. And um, But they were only in the infrared zone. I mean, in the bright blue sky, you'd see nothing. Yet he was capturing these in the infrared spectrum, which is invisible to our naked eye. So these things exist. And my thoughts on it have been that the chemtrails that they're spraying up there, they're trying to kill these things. The army at one time, and I think it was in 2001, I, I saw a write-up on a newspaper that our army, our Air Force, I mean, did admit, yeah, we're spraying up there. We're trying to get rid of bacteria that exist in the upper atmospheres. I mean, they admitted it. They admitted that they're spraying poison in order to get rid of some bacteria. So by them stating that, it proves that there are living, breathing entities of some kind that exist up there. At least bacteria, if they're stating that. I think it's fungi and other things, too. That, well, yeah, but, you know, you have, to, you have to think. If there's uh, bacteria, okay, then there must be life up there. It's thriving, you know, and if it's bacteria that they're claiming is harmful to us, well, the only thing that we've seen come out of that over the years has been raining of gelatinous type things. You know, they've had jelly that comes down and, and you know, in droves over, over like New Jersey and areas like that. They've had this gelatinous matter that just appears the next morning and it's like all over the place. You know, maybe these are the entities that they're killing. The dropas, you know, those UFOs that were captured during the STS uh, 76 footage. Yes. Maybe that's what those things that they're trying to kill. I know that when they put up that tether, which is the STS footage that exists right now, that tether was a basically a Tesla coil. And their excuse that they were doing it, uh, turning it on up there, which produced hundreds of thousands of volts, uh, or thousands of volts, I can't remember what it was, but th their excuse was when we turn this thing on, it's going to allow us to um, propel our shuttles and ships in space without having to use fuel. Alright? Hmm. But what it did is it it harmed the plasma vacuum area that these things exist in and they swarmed it. And I have footage, guys, that I show actually show that in Moon Rising and I didn't go into it, but uh, this new film that I'm coming coming that I'm doing right now it's called UFOs from Outer Space. It shows these dropa things. They're called dropas because of uh, of David Sarita. He's the one that came up with that term. The um, dropa stones, the yeah, similar to of, the dropa stone. Yeah, because of the dropa stones. The dropa stones have that slot, and they have a hole in the donut hole in the middle. And these things resemble that. Twelve thousand years ago, something landed in China. That you know, you know that story there. But to uh, and they killed on. the people that were occupants of these vehicles. <sighs> From what I heard. Well, I heard that 
I heard that they actually got along with the tr local tribes, and that there is a tribe there called the Dropa, hmm. and they're like uh, small dwarf people. And China does not allow people to interview them. Oh, so they didn't <laughs> like, kill I've all seen of them. Photographs. Yeah, that's huh? so unlike us. They didn't kill them, evidently. No. I heard something that because their bodies were found in caves, small bodies. Yes. yes. Small caskets. Small caskets. Yes. And these uh, these Dropa people, they show the king and the queen of the Dropas. And they're dressed in Chinese garb, you know, like a kimono or whatever. But they look alien, man. <laughs> and they're tiny. Cool. And wow. uh, there's a whole tribe of these dropa pocket people. Pocket Chinese. That's where Carry the, the, the cabbage patch kids yeah, came so, from. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, yeah, it's amazing uh, the story behind that one, too, because the, those dropa stones had grooves in them like a record, hmm. like an LP. Yes. And in it, scientists, the couple of scientists that examined them, they said, man, there's hieroglyphs in these grooves, and it would make a sound of some kind, but uh, these hieroglyphs were in different languages. Cool. Interesting. Yeah, it's amazing. It's an you amazing know, story. The, whole, the whole ancient astronaut thing is just totally taken off, in fact, alien, you know, ancient, what they call it, alien... Uh, Ancient aliens. Ancient aliens. This is something that's really well, that's uh, taken show. off quite well, and uh, Anthony really enjoys it. Um, now, <laughs> getting the, do you have a, a, an interest in that and also? Absolutely. Uh, that's why I'm doing my film, The Human Record. I'm going to do it next year because I've got so much on the slate right now, but I'm doing a film called UFO, The Greatest Story of the Nine, and it's going to be part six. It used to be part three, but the film I'm doing now, UFOs from Outer Space, is now part three because of this Netflix deal that we have. I want to put three films up there immediately. So the human record is exactly about that. It opens with, uh, you know, the fact that we, there's uh, the documentors, the documentary guys that were filming UFOs, or I mean, scribing UFOs in cave drawings, petroglyphs and things, you know, they were the early historians of ufology. They were the guys that were recording what, what they were seeing in those eras in the best w manner that they could. You know, in the prehistoric times, you had cave drawings yes. of all these alien-looking things, you know. Yes. In medieval times, you had uh, these tapestries and things and, you know, these frescoes and frescoes or whatever they call them. And um, that's what that film is about, the human record. And but I'm only tapping on the earlier part real, really fast because you know if you want to see the thing about ancient aliens, I mean they're doing it on Discovery Channel. You can see every channel, and uh, they have that. My film is about the guys that are filming the stuff today, up all the way to present time. And you know, in the film, you find out how the government, our presidents, our world leaders, the elite, whatever you call them whom I despise, um, how they've hidden our history. Our history has been hidden and uh, debunked and literally taken out, you know? It's been it's sanitized. Been, it's been sanitized, yeah. However, and I, I show this in the, the movie The Human Record, is like with today's recordists and historians of UFOs, it's a different ballgame. They can't kill over a million people that are filming this stuff. And At least not in a couple minutes, put it that way. Because, it yeah, might take a little effort try. and some money. <laughs> yeah, unless they have a mass genocide or something, which, you know, I doubt. But 
that uh, that's what that film is about. And I'm getting, I'm going to go on YouTube and uh, all these other channels, and I'm going to request people to appear in my film. Send me your videos, videotype yourselves, telling me what you're seeing, and you might appear on the human record, you know. And I expect to get hundreds, hopefully thousands of videos, because that would be a huge archive that we could compile. Yes. You know, and that would be good for future generations. We could set up a website, and boom, you know, they could go in there and see what's there, the real footage. I know I'm going to get probably a lot of fake stuff, but I can tell what fake is. On that note, since, uh, you know, there are some researchers who will not even look at photographs or video footage anymore because of so much digital hoaxing, hoaxing. And I find that to be detrimental in the biggest sense. Well, it's, it's a ploy being done by the powers that be and... You know, for somebody to be able to produce something that's really good, that would even fool me, okay, that that's uh, that shows you somebody's spending some money there to do that kind of thing. I, myself, am not an expert, but I'm pretty good at Adobe After Effects, which is a software program that many of the studios use for making uh, composites, and that's what I, use. I can make UFOs. I'm doing it right now in the Battle of Los Angeles. I'm doing my own effects. And I can tell you, it is very difficult to be really good at it. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty good. You know, I wish I was as good as some of the other kids and cats that are out there doing this stuff because um, I want to make the Battle of Los Angeles sequences as realistic as possible. And it's very difficult. It's not that easy. Or at least it isn't for me. I'm a 30-year veteran of editing film and video. That I can do really well. But when it comes to doing uh, special effects shots like this, there's some heavyweights out there that are just uh, young guys, man. You know, little kids or, you know, younger people. But um, it is hard to fake something like that. But there's people out there that are very, very good at it. Here's so, one uh, for you. How many yeah. times do you run in people talking to you about the, or say that the uh, Jerusalem UFO sighting is a fake? Well, I've looked at all the clips, all right, and I've, actually spliced them, I've taken time out and spliced them all together side by side where I see all three of them in the same uh, frame. And I'm an editor so I can make that UFO come to the point where it takes off on all three shots exactly, alright? And there are variances. Now, the variance could be a matter of somebody shooting with an American made camera and somebody shooting with a European made camera. And that's the difference, all right? American-made cameras shoot at 29.97 frames per second. European or PAL cameras shoot at 25 frames per second. So that would be that variance. I would have to see the original footage to see what that guy was shooting at. But there are variables on all three shots that make me suspect. And one of them doesn't even do the same trick at all throughout. It's totally different than the other two. So maybe one of those was real and the others were fake Definitely or vice versa. The others were real and one was fake. Did you see the security camera footage? No, I haven't tested that. That's what I'd like to get more, uh, get a chance to look at some more. I still haven't seen uh, that. We well, had, we had um, made acquaintances with someone 
whose brother was there in the area working for a very reputable, uh, he's a very reputable person, put it that way. And uh, as a child, this gentleman had seen similar objects over the Dome of the Rock. He had uh, two UFO sightings with other people in that area. And he had seen one object, which was a um, round uh, spherical object, hover above the dome and shoot directly up just the same way that does. But it was during the day. Right. And well, it is a location, you know, it's been revered for uh, all sorts of unusual phenomena. And, of course, that's why it is a holy place. Well, you know, that the way, the only way you can distinguish if it's a fake or, or not is to get a copy of the original footage. They're not going to give you the original footage, but what I've always told people, look, I want an unedited uh, copy of the complete tape. Send me what everything that's on there. And I'll be able to tell if there was any breaks of editing in there. Because editing on a digital tape of any kind leaves a mark. There, there are markers. Okay, and, and us editors can find that because when we put it in our program, we can see if it was a, if it was a, a tape that played straight out, or whether it was a tape that had edits in it. Now, granted, there are there there are automatic edits because when you stop the camera, turn it off, you're going to go in. But I can tell what those edits look like. Okay, there's a there there are different markers, so I'd like to see all three tapes, and now this a uh, uh, security camera stuff. I. I haven't seen that yet. But, yes. Uh, um, um, uh, what's, uh, depending upon that security camera, Sam, yeah. on what type it is, security yeah. stuff is watermarked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All my camera equipment's watermarked. You can't edit it. I mean, it, it stands out like a sore thumb. Right. If it's if it's security camera that's watermarked, it, it can't be tampered. Yeah, you can't fake that. You can't yeah. um, edit it. Yeah. It's that because UFO we'll be able to tell. It's I mean, Hassan supposedly has some has it so that's what he had posted and well, speaking uh, of Jaime who's a friend of mine I mean he came out with this footage back in the um, it was 2001 2002 and there was this footage of a UFO that in this area in Mexico and it was a good shot of a UFO I mean it was just too good to be true it was delivered to his office left at his door anonymously the problem that I had with that tape and I saw the footage in his room he showed it to a you know bunch of us, and we're looking at it. Is that there's black at first, all right? There's no slate or anything like that. But then all of a sudden the footage appears. There's talking and everything else, and after the UFO flies off, it goes back to black, and there's nothing else on this tape. And I said, now Jaime, is this your copy of the original, and did you just edit out all the shit that was in the front and the back? He says, no. He says this is the original. I go, well, it's strange. It's suspect because. They just sent you a piece of footage that's that has an edit has two edits. It goes from black to picture, then from picture to black. That tells me they're hiding something. Why would they not give you a straight out copy if they were in a rush to get this to you? There should have been other footage. And why they were filming that's there. That's true, unless I mean, they're afraid of their identity or something like that. Otherwise there's no reason for that at all. Yeah, but you know, all they would have done is is I would have done this. I would have brought the tape intact. Here's this tape. 
please don't air anything other than the UFO. Right. But I'd show you what was there before and after because I'm honest with you. This is not a fake tape. Well, I agree with you 100%. I'm just thinking that's the only possible reason I could think of. All right. We're going to take a break. More with Jose Escamilla when we return. You're listening to Threshold Radio. TheEdgeOnAir.com and Thresholds into Other Realms present Thresholds Radio, a weekly show dedicated to all things paranormal. Join your hosts Sam Moranto, John Stevenson, and Anthony Kopp Fridays from 10 to 11 p.m. for an expedition beyond your most unexplainable dreams. With new guests every week, Thresholds Radio will bend your views on reality. That's Friday nights 10 to 11 on TheEdgeOnAir.com. For more info on Thresholds Radio, visit UFO-Info. Welcome back to Threshold Radio. Jose Escamillo is with us, and we're talking about interstellar UFOs. We're talking the big mamas. And, Jose, fill us in on this. Well, I'm doing a movie right now, which, like I said earlier, it was going to be called The Human Record, and that was going to be part three of the trilogy of UFO, The Greatest Story Ever Denied series. I was only going to make three. Now I'm making six. So, uh, because of this deal that I have going with Netflix, <clears throat> where people will be able to see my films on streaming and rent them on DVDs, um, UFO, The Greatest uh, Story Ever Denied, Part 3, UFOs from Outer Space. In that movie, I'm showing uh, all the UFOs from 1950s all the way to present time that have been filmed in space only. We're not talking about a guy over in Spokane, Washington has been filming these objects. I'm talking about this is the stuff that NASA... Mm-hmm. And our Department of Defense and our Air Force filmed from their early late fifties all the way to present time the NASA footage. There's there's a lot of stuff that's never been seen. Like and in it, I include uh, the interstellar footage uh, that has never been seen that um, uh, John Leonard Wilson filmed. And um, after that, I'm doing part four, which is going to be totally about the interstellar uh, filmings because I have footage that was taken by NASA and photography by NASA and the ISS, International Space Station, the Mir Station, and, and uh, the shuttle that have these gigantic interstellar UFOs in low orbit right above Earth. Mm-hmm. So this proves that uh, John Leonard Walson has been filming real things with his telescope. There weren't as far away as we perceived. I mean, he was saying, oh man, these things are like past the moon, yeah. way out there, light years away, I'm able to film these things. No, these things are right above Earth, in lower so, orbit, between the moon and Earth. So much like we were talking about with that cloud, the optical psychology, the the way we perceive things, unless we have some sort of multiple angles and perspectives, you really can't tell distance. And the it's same thing when it comes with photography. Yeah, it's all a matter of perception. We... we we can't, you know, it's just like when we look at the moon. You know, we look at the moon, it looks, you know, black and white, blue, red sometimes, orange sometimes. But it's in full color once we leave the atmosphere. And our astronauts, man, they're lucky. They get to see and perceive things as they really are. So these interstellar ships, which I'm really curious about because I'm, I'm you know, my, my statement on that little short film that I made back in 2007 about them, 
it's like, okay, if they are ours, then we need to know when and how we got these things up there and made them. How big are they, would you say? And how big are they and are there humans in it? Because if, if these are our own ships and we found a way to hide them as stars in our galaxies, you know, in our, in our, milky, in our galaxy here, then how is it that we got them up there? Because these things are as small as stars, mm -hmm. okay? And they're, they're in orbit to where when we look at these things, we see the tail end of the Big Dipper. And we see the last star that's right there, and there's a, there's a star below it. That star is not a star. It's an interstellar-type ship. It's a big mothership of some kind, as huge as a freaking battleship or ten times over. It's a big you know? mothership. <laughs> and this guy's been filming him with his telescope. And there's another guy that was uh, on a, uh, in New Jersey that was filming same objects, <clears throat> the same type of objects, and he posted them on... Uh, space.com he said hey man this because Leonard Walson also had some of his stuff up there and he said look I'm filming the same stuff over here and I'm in New Jersey and I tried contacting him you know he never responded because I wanted to put his stuff in, in comparison because that's what I have to do my job is okay here's a claim but I have to have corroboration by somebody Correct. exactly are these in the IR field or the no actual visual? these are in the regular line of vision man Oh, that's odd. Because I know in IR, my gosh, you look up there, there's things everywhere when you look in IR. Now, isn't he shooting this stuff through his telescope? or? Yeah, there's a assistance? way that he, uh, he told me this outlandish story <laughs> that aliens came to him and they chose him to be the guy. And, you know, you have to look at the way I look at things, all right? <laughs> Myself, when we first uh, started filming UFOs over Roswell in broad daylight back in 1994... We immediately had the I have been chosen <laughs> mentality because that's the first thing you go is like, wow, these things are all over us. We must be the chosen ones, you know, this kind of deal. But immediately you have to ground yourself because once you start thinking that I'm the chosen one, I'm the only one that sees these things, and my logic just did not allow it. I had to say, you know what, I'm going to step back away from this stuff and look at it realistically. I've been seeing these things since I was a kid when it comes out to the truth. And I've never been told, hey, you are the chosen one. You must do this. You know, I've never been told that. I've never gotten any psychic things. So what this guy was claiming was that aliens came to him and they showed him how to build this apparatus to connect to a telescope that would allow him to fill, you know, to film millions of miles away in, in, in interstellar space, you know, way out there. You're far more tolerant than me. <laughs> Where his, well, I tell you, I'm a, you know, I'm a filmmaker, man. I, I want to get this true. You, you know, take it all to grain of salt. Right. I was totally taken aback mm -hmm. when I saw the footage. I go, wow, look at this. There's about 58 ships that are orbiting Earth, different varieties. And they had the capabilities of stretching and, and, and uh, expanding, you know. I mean, and that takes a lot of energy, okay? And they're huge. And there appears to be, well, there are, there are lighting uh, areas there, you know, where there's something going on. It looks like, you know, one of them looks like a huge battleship. It has a deck and everything. <laughs> wow. It even has the, you know, the big tower like a battleship would. A pirate flag. And you see things landing in there like UFOs, you know, dots coming in. But there's this 
lighting system, man. It, it looks like a rock and roll show, man. <laughs> you know, it, there's, there's some... some Interstellar object. disco. Space rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, man. And, and there's some that look like uh, some of the refineries we have here in L.A. I don't know if you guys have ever been uh, over there near Inglewood and Huntington Park, Huntington Beach and all that area, but there's yeah. some refineries down south here on the way to San Pedro that are lit up, man. They look really cool. You know, it's like... Uh, like I say, a rock and roll show at a refinery. <laughs> I hear tell they have some... the best bud in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's objects in space that are just like that. They look like a refinery up there. But the, the trick is is that they have a mechanism to where they can expand into a different shape. One really? of them trans looks like a, a Transformer from the movie Transformers. Oh, cool. And it's hovering there. It's got these tentacles that are kind of hanging down. It's got this head that looks Egyptian. It looks like an Egyptian uh, um, entity of some kind, you know, and it, sh it, it changes shape right before you. It expands. It turns into a different shape. I mean, it's just amazing. In, he's got this on so that's video what perplexed then? Me, he know, has this on video. I have this on video that he filmed. And now, have you actually gone there, seen his apparatus or apparatus? No, no, I was trying ones? to. When the guy did a 360 on me, and he, he did he did a different thing on. Now remember, I made this movie back in February 2007, and in July of 2007 was when I launched my broadband channel called TBLN, which was going to be the very first all paranormal network. We were going, we were featuring all paranormal. You could go on TBLN, and for like 3.95 a month. Uh, or three ninety five per movie. There was movies from ninety nine cents, three ninety five, nine ninety five. You could go on there and watch movies all about paranormal, Sasquatch, UFOs, ghosts, you name it. There all the time, right? <laughs> well, I put Interstellar in there, and Interstellar was one of the highest sellers there. Well, he thought I was making millions of dollars, right? He doesn't realize that. Look, it was costing X amount of dollars per month just to operate because of the broadband. Uh, expenses, man, they were sky high, all right? So he was thinking, or this is the excuse he used, he was thinking that I was making millions of dollars and he was not getting a penny. Well, first of all, I said, John, send me a bank account. I'll wire you money. Because he was always harping, man, I need money, man. You know, I got the secret agents after me and the <laughs> CIA and all this stuff. I said, well, send me, a, send me a bank account number. He sent me a bank account number that was null and void, all right? <laughs> My banker checked us and says, hey, this is a non-existent account. That's, so have send that's right because it's on the spaceship. <laughs> yeah, that's possibly so. Then I said, hey, dude, set up a PayPal account, man. Don't be stupid. Set up a PayPal account. But that requires him having a bank account and all that kind of stuff. Well, that was a no, you know, that was not a given. I said, give me your freaking attorney's number and address <laughs> or whatever, and I'll wire it to him, and then he can handle it with you. Non-existing attorney. Wow. I said, get your accountant. Send me an accountant, man. I made fifteen hundred bucks for him there. I had fifteen hundred. I still have fifteen hundred for him, John. If you're listening, the fifteen hundred dollars for you because that's how much you made. My name's at John. 50, at fifty-fifty <laughs> split, it was a fifty-fifty split. Get the money, up. John. Otherwise, John Stevenson. Sam, claim that was, your that was me. That was actually me. I got me. that bank account right here, Jose. <laughs> yeah. Well. What happened after that was he started saying that I was a thief, I was stealing his stuff. I mean, he went on a big deal calling me a thief and that I was stealing 
his footage and not paying him. I was making millions, and I'm, I'm really, really, he did this. And, he st- and then on, on September 11th, 2007, he emailed me. He says, I'm going underground, man, because I've got these CIA agents, the men in black, they're after me. The aliens are pissed off that I put stuff and that I gave you the foot. I mean, he went off on me. I've got everything documented, by the way, guys. <laughs> wow. You know, oh, that's great. Uh, aside from being a filmmaker and a UFO in- research investigator, I'm a businessman. I document everything because my attorney tells me, as long as you got a paper trail, we got right. the evidence, you know? And yeah. that's what I do. So this guy went off, and we had a... Uh, he, he went undercover. I didn't, I've never heard from him since, actually. <laughs> I went on ATS, you know, above top secret, and I said, look, because they were on there bragging about, he was him and a guy named Gridkeeper who has befriended me. Uh, Gridkeeper and I are now friends. Gridkeeper hasn't heard from this guy in a long time. So the guy's a, the guy's a story upon itself, you know. I'm not going to go into that detail in the new movie. No, no. The Interstellar uh, Part 4 of the series, but... I'm going to say the guy's an enigma because he's vanished. I come to find out he's, he has about 28 aliases. <laughs> that his real name was Simon Anderson, according to my good friend Santiago Ituria. Because two years earlier, before this guy contacted me, he contacted Santiago and said, Here it is, man. And he's claimed that he had alien footage of aliens landed and they're walking around and he had the footage and then they. He shows uh, aliens doing a uh, doing a, a test on a person on a table, a slab. He claimed this was real. He claims it was him and all this kind of stuff. So Santiago, I called him. I said, "Well, since you know him, is this a real? This is before I even made the movie." Yeah. I said, "Is this guy for real? Because he's got some <laughs> cockamamie stories, man." <clears throat> he says, "No, he's legitimate, man." He says, "I've been dealing with him for two years, and he sent me a lot of footage. I've seen the stuff and." I said, all right, well, if Santiago feels that it's a real deal, then I'm going to go forward with it. And I signed a contract with this guy. Uh, along the path, he claimed that he was dealing with the guy that worked with George Lucas, uh, Irvin Kirstner, whom yeah. I met personally back in the 80s as an editor. But Irvin Kirstner was in uh, Europe, and he said he's going to go to him and um, his brother and try to get financing. I go, well, more power to you. Well, he sent me a deal memo that he had Irvin Kirstner sign. It looked totally fake to me. I've got that in my records here, in my files. So there was a lot of really weird stuff. He said that he met Spielberg in Malta, and that Spielberg was interested in his stuff, but he didn't trust Spielberg. He wanted to do it with me. That kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you anyway, know, if I were to say between you and Spielberg, what is there really any choice? I mean, really. I mean, come on, man. I would have, I, I would have, you know. I'd have signed a deal. I'd have said, forget it, man. Steven, let's do this, you know. <laughs> but <clears throat> anyway, so he kind of disappeared on me, and through the years, he's been slamming me, claiming this. We went on, I went on ATS. I said, all right, <laughs> I want you to do this now. Let's, let's, let's find out what this apparatus is. Because if you have an apparatus that allows people to see in deep space, then it has to be shared. We can get astronomers all over the world to buy this apparatus. You'll make millions, Lamar oh, Watson. God, yes. You know, you can sell these in every astronomy store <clears throat> on the internet. I wanted to put together, I even had a whole plan. I put together a large uh, Greyhound bus that was going to be the interstellar tour where we would go town by town, set up the telescope, and people could walk into the bus. You know, like you walk in there and give blood. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> or a book bus. But you walk into the bus and you can see these interstellar objects in broad daylight because, you know, 
it works that way. You know, you can have cool. a dome. You can actually see into the night in broad daylight. And this guy disappeared then, you huh? Know, that's how come they had these uh, these uh, observatories. But we were going to show people how to see these things live. I even wanted to put a big Hollywood Bowl event, UFOs Live at the Hollywood Bowl. And Lennar was going to set up his stuff. We were going to show people UFOs live right there. This is what's happening in your skies above you. But that was my aspirations about it. That's how far I wanted to take this because I thought it was the biggest thing since, you know, <laughs> UFO popcorn. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I almost had, guarantee I this guy you know, had aluminum foil cowboy We could really do this. We could pull this off and, and you show your stuff. You'll be the famous, most famous astrolo- uh, astrophotographer on the planet. You would have shown people what's up there, you know. But the guy just, like I said, he's an enigma. <laughs> and he had sent me some things that to me looked fake, all right? Mm-hmm. I got photographs where it looks like he has a plate of some kind, a glass plate above his telescope, and he's got these things pasted on it. He <laughs> said, look at the UFOs above my house. And I look at it, and I go, you know, that's a glass mat. You know, that's an M-A-T-T-E, a glass mat. We've used that in films, man, you know? You get a piece of glass, and you can actually paint something or paste something. Set your camera below and set it up against the sky, and uh, providing you do it in the right angle. And he did this at night. Uh, providing you do the right angle, you can actually, it's, it's called forced perception. You can make people think that they're seeing a real thing when, in, in fact, it's a painting on a glass. Yeah. So there were a couple of questionable things that he had sent me. And then I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put together sometime when I have time. And I've been doing it throughout the years. You know, I've got about an hour put together so far. So, you know, I'm going to put together a film and call it The Interstellar Case Files. And it's going to be the whole story about me and Leonard Walsh. And I'm going to leave out some of the stupid details. but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think they're interesting. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you've got a whole cereal bowl here of Fruit Loops, dude. <laughs> You you've got something yep. interesting now. Now here, I'll, I'll I'll do I'll do something interesting and look at it this way here. Now let's assume this is all legit. What a perfect way to go about and discredit himself or somebody else discredit him, uh, pres- uh, taking on the identity of him uh, and doing all this stuff. In other words, stealing his email, whatever. Well, at um, the same, you know, you don't know, or you do you know? know? At the same time. I was saying, all right, maybe this is an agent provocateur, you know, sure. the kind of guys that go out there and screw people over. And what they're trying to do is make me look like an idiot. Of course. To, to uh, discredit me, you know. I said, I have to look out for that too. And that's the way you got to do things because you have to look out for yourself. Nobody else is. And uh, those are thoughts that I put into this project, the Interstellar Project. And I go, all right, well, I'm just going to go with it and not really go. I'm not going to claim they're aliens. I'm just going to say, what are they? You know, right. and um, it was when I started doing Moon Rising with Kerry Martinek, who's a good friend of mine. He's a really good filmmaker out of Canada, and he's a historian on the NASA stuff. He's the guy that did the book of the information on NASA. He actually interviewed a guy that was one of the guys that was faking stuff for NASA before he died, and he gave Kerry all the information of what NASA does, what it's been doing, and how. I mean, the slogan on, on Moon Rising is, we didn't fake a few things, we faked everything. Or we, we didn't lie about a few things, we lied about everything. <laughs> okay, so, uh, Carrie has been sending me this stuff, this footage for these um, 
for the UFOs from outer space segment because I said, Carrie, I'm also doing interstellar. I'm doing uh, the UFOs that are com that are coming from far reaches of space. I don't know if you guys have seen skymap.org. Have you seen that website? No. These are objects that are big, man. They're coming towards Earth. They're supposed to arrive here in 2012. <laughs> and this is a website done by the uh, NASA and the DOD. And um, you type in these coordinates and you can see these huge objects coming. I'm going to send you some coordinates here in a bit. Okay, great. Before like the that. show is out. Yeah, we'll have those posted. Yeah, um, and then there's these huge objects that are orbiting or surrounding our sun. And it's the SOHO project, which is a solar stereo vision um, filming of our sun as it's doing its thing. NASA put out two huge uh, uh, objects out there that are filming our sun in stereo. And there's these gigantic objects that are appearing around our sun. They've been appearing since 2008, 2009, I believe, or 2010. And these things are big. I'm talking, you know how big Jupiter is compared to Earth. All right? Yes. Mm -hmm. All right? These things are 10 times larger than Jupiter. Now, the one picture that was actually on Soho, where you see this flare and you, then you see this, what appears to be, three quarters of a planet, an exceptionally large planet in back of it, is that a legitimate photo? Well, when you see these, I don't know, I've never seen that one, I'd have to look at it, but when you see this, these photos that are taken, like I said, in stereo by NASA, and NASA puts them up every day. Okay? Oh, they I look at it three, four times hundreds a day. And hundreds, yeah. Yeah. hundreds and hundreds of photos every day, they change daily. Um, you can see the archives. All the way since 2008, I believe. Yep. I, I pay attention to Soho, uh, spaceweather.com, religiously, daily, yeah, many times these, a day. These are enormous objects, and they look, I mean, one day, and I could kick myself for doing this, one day I downloaded a whole web page of, of, of these photos, you know, a whole slew of them. One of them showed this gigantic eagle-looking thing that was on a platform. It looked like, like the American eagle facing sideways, and there was a platform underneath. Now, this thing was gigantic. It was about, I'd say, an eighth the size of the upper part of the sun, okay, that was that big, all right? It was an eagle. I mean, you could tell, and I showed it to my partner, Saskia, and she goes, holy moly. So I downloaded it. The next day, I downloaded the same numbers and I erased the golden eagle thing man because what had happened it had been taken away yeah and I man I've been I looked in the other I'll never ever do that again but you know dang it it was there I swear to god so here I'm doing the interstellar stuff and I, I and, and Carrie sends me stuff for this UFOs from outer space film and I mean, doggone, he shows me these objects that are filmed by the International Space Station, Mir, um, Shuttle. Over the past 10 years, they've been filming these things in space, and they're huge. And one of them looks identical, not similar, looks identical to one of John Lennard's ships that I have on video. Now, and that see, just blew. That's that very blew interesting. The, that, that blew the top of my hat. Okay, now <laughs> this is the other thing. Let's say you have a John. Maybe John was actually working at one point or had access to this information. Then he puts out other things and he comes out there showing this stuff just to, show, you know, just to detract from the legitimacy 
You know, there's so much garbage going on, you don't know what to accept. Well, you know, the Interstellar movie that I'm making, um, John is an enigma. We don't know who he really is or what he really is. Uh, I've asked him to appear on Jeff Renz with me on Coast to Coast. The guy does not do radio shows. He does not have a legitimate bank account or an accountant or an attorney. I said, hey, John, rather than you go out there slamming me saying that I'm stealing money from you and call me a thief and all that, put your attorney on me. I haven't talked to my attorney. That's business. Yeah. Right? We have a business deal. You know, the other, rather than the other that, thing you may consider is currency. You may want to pay him in seashells. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, you know, whatever he wants. You know, um, the thing is, is I and I still have that fifteen hundred dollars in there. I've used part of it, but I've replenished it <laughs> <laughs> over the years. You know, the economy ain't helping much. But the thing is, is you know, John, if you're listening, get your attorney on me. Yeah, otherwise sue he's going to juice loan that out and get twenty percent a month. Freaking sue me. I've got enough stuff that'll go right to court and it'll pass. All right? But come, bring it on, man. Let's do it. Send me your, your attorney's name, number, and address. Now, I'll give him the money gladly that you've made. Yeah. John and, uh, can contact us here and we could have the both of you on and we could play. Uh, yeah, and let's do this right. <laughs> Instead let's, of people's uh, court, we'll call it. We'll uh, do it. Threshold's court. Threshold's court or <laughs> Judge yeah, yeah. Sam. <laughs> yeah. But he just won't show his face. And, you know, that's the only thing. Is so, the guy uh, still alive? I mean, he's just missing, period? Well, we don't know. The last time I heard, he had married this lady named um, Parker. And she had been filming UFOs and. It's suspect that it was her UFO footage that he was using on some other stuff that he had sent us. So I don't know. And oh, just another thing. <laughs> to compensate for himself, he says, man, because he's a musician. Okay. And, uh, he says, you know, I've got that a job. That adds I got a job on a cruise ship to, uh, so I can make some money so I can pay for my rent. He had a wife at that time that I was talking to him in February 2007. He had a wife that was in a wheelchair diagnosed with cancer hey. and she was terminal and uh, I talked to her on the phone I mean me and my partner I was living with my partner at her house in the time in, in Culver City we talked to him and his wife and um, her, I believe her name was Susan and Susie and we go hey Susie how you doing God bless you love you yeah blah 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 smooch smooch <laughs> you know we were like all chummy and gummy with these two you know and it was like, man, I told my partner, I said, man, poor John, man. I feel so bad for him. Let's see if we can get some money together for him. He's going to send me a bank account so I can send him, wire him money, or Western Union or whatever. He, oh, he, wouldn't even, he would not even accept Western Union. Okay? <laughs> what do you want? Somebody Western to dr come up there show, dressed up like a, an Ewok or, and, and then <laughs> hand, a, hand him a bag of money or That's what? another thing. He would not accept and... Western Union, which, you know, requires an ID and, you know, that kind of stuff. So anyway, all this time that we're dealing with Lennart and his wife, we felt bad. I even contacted Dr. Roger Lear, who, had, who contacted Dr. Schwartz, who's here in Pasadena. Right. And we had a, uh, he had a, a way to get his wife to Russia. They would pay all of her expenses and take her to some doctors where they would cure her of this cancer. Oh, wow. And John did not take that offer up. He didn't even call the doctor when he said he was going to the, I, the Schwartz. said, no, I never heard from him and, you know, just ended there. Well, suddenly, crazy. after he disappeared <laughs> on me, over the past few years, suddenly he's now gotten married with this other lady named Parker. 
And there's never been any reference to his wife, Susie, or Sarah, whatever the freak her name was. <laughs> and uh, we don't know if he killed her or he dumped her off the cruise ship in the ocean. We don't know what happened to his wife, who was terminally ill. Maybe she was just another name, or a, maybe he was... Or she's been beamed back up. alien watchers, you know, <laughs> no. watching them with the apparatus yeah. to make sure it wasn't giving it to anybody. She was the well, keeper of the apparatus. And I'm going to find. I'm gonna relook at the file. I just can't remember her name. But look, when we talked to her, she was she was cheerful, joyful. Yeah. <laughs> okay, she's like a chick, you know, not not in a wheelchair or oh yes, hi, I so, so you know, she was like, Hi Mike, how you doing? Chow? You know, that kind of thing. Really? So wow. it was just always curious. And I I've always wondered whatever happened to her, man. Maybe she was just pulling your leg, you know. I know well, somewhere in here is an aluminum foil hat. Well, yeah. I just know I it. <laughs> you know, John keeps on saying while he's listening to this whole thing, he says, you know, somewhere's along here, he knows that there is something to do with a an aluminum <laughs> hat. But it has to be in the shape of a cowboy's <laughs> aluminum, like a cowboy hat made out of aluminum. Cowboy hat made out Yippee! of <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this guy's a trip. <laughs> Now I've met some I've met some strange mofos, <laughs> and um, you know for some reason, yes, the subject does seem to but you allow listen the gravitation to them all because you don't know though. But what I say is, crazy people see UFOs too, and, <laughs> and sometimes more so. <laughs> more so. But sometimes, legitimately, they encounter things legitimately. You know, it's, there's something unusual. So the thing is, we have. Uh, you know, we have to weigh everything, and I appreciate you able to do that, and also to use the degree of um, uh, of, of looking at this and you know sifting through through this to see if there's see what's there and just presenting it as it is. Well, you know, uh, thank you for the acknowledgement, man. But it, Santiago Turia told me he said, you know, I think he's faking a lot of this stuff, you know, and he uses. Uh, um, glass and vases and things and I go vases he goes yeah he uses vases and things and turns them into these ships and I go he says he's very good at special effects Jose he says I found this out later on when he ab abandoned me what happened with Santiago uh, and his relationship he uh, he told Santiago the same story the feds are after me I'm gonna have to go underground and um, I'm just not gonna deal with you and blah 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 and that was the end of it and that's when he contacted me all right, and he said we have a mutual friend. He was all secretive. <laughs> Sounds like we a, have a mutual files. friend in Monterey, Mexico, and it's like pointing to Santiago Turia. So it's, <laughs> I, I go, all right, well, and, and do, he says, as long as you take care of Santiago too, give him some money. I'll go, hey man, I'll do whatever you want. Let's just get this done. <laughs> so uh, that's when I contacted Santiago, and it, it was just craziness. But um, yeah, uh, you have to cover your butt, man, in this business because. Um, they're out to get you. Once you put your, your name out there, and like me, and I, I've got my movies and things, they're all debunking me. And they're saying, "Oh man, this Camille is nuts. He's crazy. He's he's a liar. He's a thief. He stole from Leonardo." Well, I mean, they're using everything they can to discredit me. Well, when it came down to um, this footage, I mean, he would send me clips that said "Golden Egg." All right. He said, I'm using uh, undercover names. I don't want to call it Starship. I said, all right, whatever. You know, send it. Because he was, uh, I gave him a, a uh, uh, web server that I have yeah. where he was uploading to FTP, you know. Yeah. yeah. And there were a few of them called Vase 1, Vase 2, Vase 3. 
Ah. But it was interesting. And I go, when Santiago <laughs> says, oh, man, he uses vases, he uses <laughs> glass things, and, you know, yeah. he films them. So they I'm can looking make at inanimate objects into things that are literally out of this world. <laughs> well, look, let me tell you, when you use a telescope, mm -hmm. and I did the whole thing, I went and bought the same kind of scope that he had. I, I bought it at a uh, flea market for like $75. <laughs> and uh, I said, you know, I'm going to try to replicate. I'm going to put a video camera on this and, and try to film in the sky and see what I get. Maybe I'll find one of these Lennard ships because he gave me the directions where they are coordinates so I bought this telescope I could never calibrate the damn thing <laughs> all right don't you hate that I but hate then again it. that's what $75 gets you these days <laughs> well yeah but you pay you pay uh, $800 and they'll really aggravate you you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah right? it turns out the same anyway very very true yeah, it's like a camcorder you can go and buy one for you know three or four hundred dollars five hundred bucks whatever you turn it on put the battery on put a tape in boom you're filming okay <laughs> Easiest pipe, but you get a doggone telescope. It's got all this stuff you got to do to it, and the manual tells you you have to calibrate. All right, and 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 just get oh, it. Uh, God. I, forget I the name. For, I know first thing. Forget I know the first name they call it. But you have to make the scope, the optical parts of the scope work to in coordination before you even start looking through it. Because I forget the name of it. Uh anyway. I looked up on the internet, okay, how to calibrate a Mead telescope videos, and, and I was going through stuff, and look, you know, things come at you, guys. <laughs> when you start looking into things, things pop out at you when you're not even expecting it. So here I was looking for how to calibrate a Mead 8-inch telescope, and I forget the doggone name of this, but there's a, a acclimation, maximilation, or something like that. So okay. I typed in that word because that was a major word. It says, it, uh, by not calibrating correctly, you get this effect called this. So I typed that in Google, and boom, I'm getting videos of what that looks like. And guess what? It looks, it looks like, like the like spaceships. A, it looks like a spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> All right? So I'm going, holy camola. <laughs> you know? And I forgot about the telescope. I went and sold it. I gave it away. <laughs> I think I gave it to Ed Grimsley or some stuff. But I said, um, holy cow, man. Look at this. Look at this thing. It looks like an object that's in deep space. And it looks like a spider. I mean, and it's got these tentacles and things. It's just amazing. <laughs> nothing like, nothing close to uh, Lennard's stuff. But, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> it's just that if the optics are wrong on a telescope, you will get these results by filming a star. So, here I go again. So, and I'm going, holy moly, man. Maybe Santiago was right. Maybe this guy has been faking this stuff, sending me all this incredible footage that sparked my interest. I mean, it made me think. I, you know, I was ready to go on a freaking bus tour. $150,000 right? freaking Greyhound bus loaded to the max, you know. God, no, this is beautiful. You know, that's sponsors. funny, but it's really not. No, but it's great. It's, Billboards it's... and sponsors. I mean, <laughs> Imagine how pissed they would be. Come look at our uncalibrated telescope. <laughs> yeah. Col um. Calaminated. Col Right. Collaboration with a $75 telescope. <laughs> my investment, my Winnebago and my telescope. No, no, it's going to be a big freaking bus, a tour bus. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I had all these big plans, and then suddenly I'm looking at 
Clem- He's calling Reba McIntyre trying to buy her bus. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm picturing it. It's so that, beautiful. So that's what was going. I mean, I was so excited about this stuff. And then Santiago <laughs> mentioned that, you know, just, he's, well, you know, he uses basses and chandeliers and all sorts of crap. And I, and he, <laughs> he said basses. I go, wait a minute. This, this SOB sent me a freaking tape here. It's a badass looking thing, but. <laughs> He calls it vase one, vase two, vase three. <laughs> and I go, okay, maybe this guy is just faking all this stuff. So uh, as it turns out, it wasn't until I'm doing this new movie, UFOs from Outer Space. And the reason I call that title is because I want to give it a 50-ish type. UFOs from Outer Space. You know. <laughs> yeah, I like that. But it's the real deal. This Stanton would like that. Stanton Freeman would love that, that 50th thing. He He's really yeah. into that. And I may I may open it in a 50s-style movie mode, black oh, and yeah. white. Oh, there you color. go. But uh, anyway, uh, here I am doing this. And then Kerry uh, Martinet, mm-hmm. whom I know is not a freaky flake, man. <laughs> he sends me this footage and, and these photos of the same objects filmed by Leonard Walson. Now I'm going, okay, I have to really sit back because now I'm going to put this Leonard Walson stuff in my movie because it is corroborated with the best people I could have ever gone with, NASA. So, uh, and I'm not doing any of the base videos. I'm only putting, you have to, you have to realize, guys, this guy has hundreds of clips. All right? You go to blip, B-L-I-P. TV, I believe, .com or blip.tv or .com. He's got all the stuff there, and you'll see him just slamming me. Oh, the guys at TBLN, I do no business with them. Uh, <laughs> Jose Escamilla, he doesn't say my name. He says, the thief at TBLN, <laughs> you know, stolen money, all this. And he's got all these videos up there. But he's got hundreds of <laughs> hundreds UFO Things hundreds. You, you That's usually a sign. You zoom in real, real close in small letters. Made in bought Japan. a hell of a lot of vases, <laughs> my friend. Yeah, and he's the only one in the world that can film with this telescope. Well, <laughs> it turns out that he sent me an email one night, and I knew he was drinking wine because <laughs> I I was talking to him on the phone earlier. And that's I, where and the that's John. the origin of the vases, by the way. Oh, I love I love it, man. So. He's drinking wine. He's getting tipsy. Maybe he's drinking Jack Daniels for all I know. You know, he told me he's drinking wine because he didn't like to drink. You know, and I go, yeah, right. You're freaking. You're from. You're a Brit, man. Get out of here. You know, you guys. You guys wear skirts sometimes. So, you know. <laughs> so he emailed me an email that told me how his apparatus came about. Man, he told me the secret right there. Jack Daniels. Okay, now Jack Daniels. It may be a lie or anything, but it kind of makes sense to me because when I was dealing with this telescope and I had my video camera, believe me, guys, <laughs> I thought I was going to be able to film with this Mead telescope, but because it was not collaminated, collaminated, <laughs> damn it, it'll come to me. <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't have the right setting. Corroborated. Corroborated. No, we can't even Oh, what the hell is going on? This is contagious. <laughs> Calibrated, isn't it? All right, it? corroborated. I'll go with that. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I tried filming the moon. The moon looked like a big white dot. That's how bad it was. <laughs> oh, calibrated. So, there we go. Huh? Calibrated. Well, no, it's not calibrated. It's collaminated. Collaminated. <laughs> it's, 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 
It's an astronomy. Get... Oh, 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 I know the astronomy oh, term. It's a fancy okay. word. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about it. It's a fancy term. <laughs> yeah, it's a fancy. It's one of those scientific terms, man. Telescope. <laughs> that means focused. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking at this. And he sends me an email, and what he did, he said, uh, and his, his typing is terrible. Anyway, oh, this guy when he typed you, he was like a child. I swear to God, man, <laughs> when he would type me an email, the misspellings were were just ridiculous. And his grammar was stupid. John, I mean, were you sending stuff to him? Or <laughs> <laughs> was that mean? From his planet, they don't. Oh. It's a different language. It's a different <laughs> language. That's what it is. What was an alias? Sam Maranto? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look it up on the list. <laughs> he would send me these emails that were just ridiculous. The grammar was bad. Even my partner, Saskia, she goes, man, this guy's like a child, you know? He's just like really, really dumb. <laughs> Either he's he's a total bard, <laughs> or he's a, you know, or maybe. And I hate using the word. I don't want to offend retarded people. But <laughs> this, this this MF was a. Hell no! This is beautiful. I don't want to offend anybody. You know. No, no. You call it a fag a fag or a, you know, all that of insanities. You know, so. Uh, this guy's a though, huh? <laughs> he's a total childlike guy, you know. And uh, so when he's writing me this stuff, he told me he says, "Here's what I did: I calibrated my telescope to where it's perfect optics up to the eyepiece. Then he removes the eyepiece, and then he removes the lens from the camcorder, and he puts them together so that it's true optics from the lens." and the optics of the telescope direct into the CCD, the camcorder. And that made sense to me because now you don't have to deal with autofocus, blurriness, and that kind of thing. You're getting a true picture, and now the telescope becomes your lens. Yes, that would make okay? sense. Mm -hmm. If he'd have kept the lens in between the camera and the telescope, and I know this about optics, it would have caused a lot of aberrations. But by doing this, he had, you know... Freaking said aberrations with no issue. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's <laughs> so okay. uh, that's that's the secret of his telescopic uh, apparatus that the aliens gave him. You know. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So anyway, that's uh, I'm putting that on the film, and, and it's a very interesting. It's this be could very be interesting. the film. <laughs> but here, wouldn't you think other astronomers have done? Similar, if not more creative no, things. No, because aliens haven't talked to them. <laughs> well, like I said, there was this guy in New Jersey, unless it was him. Yeah, he just moved. A different name. I mean, come on, you know. And the I, guy I has a book. British accent, or he is a Brit. I never, Do you know I never it? talked to the guy. I never talked to the bloke. <laughs> never talked to the bloke, okay. On the phone, you know. It was a guy from New Jersey. I emailed him, and he never contacted me back, never... Uh, you know, so I, I guessed in my own uh, perception, it's, you know, it's probably beachy freaking John Lennard Walson <laughs> acting like a New Jersey guy. <laughs> you know? However, the spelling was correct. There was no tardness in there. <laughs> Unless he was, raking, he was faking the tardness, you never know. Well, he, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, the guy was like a chameleon. You know, he had all these aliases. So, well then, if he if he's that adaptive, like a chameleon, <laughs> uh, that usually means he's pretty smart. And if he's that smart and that creative, 
and that much of a <laughs> kook, he could be intelligence. Or he know. could be a whistleblower. Yes. Or, or a whistleblower or That's somebody a- that was out to or, or, or not the original guy and taking on the identity. Maybe the other guy's sitting at the bottom of a creek somewhere or in a or in a you know, there's, a, there's also a chance it's actually whatever. legit. Pardon me? There's always a chance it's actually legit, too. Oh, it's legit, and somebody just whacked him and took his identity or Well, or you know, whatever. that's, that's the, the thing about this interstellar <laughs> film that I'm going to make. It's it's a He's an enigma. Yeah, but he's, he's just, an enigma. Just dealing with him is a, is a story in itself. Yeah, I don't need footage for that. <laughs> oh, no, it's a book, it's a book unto it, it, itself. It's definitely a It's best, a journey. It's a best-selling yeah. miniseries. Bernard <laughs> <laughs> Watson story. I mean, it's just hilarious. Um, I mean, if you, knew, if you read half of the crap that this guy sent me. <laughs> oh, here's another thing this, here's another thing this idiot it. did. At that time, I was dealing with a company out of New York, um, Vista Vision or something like that, and, and I, because I wanted to get the best live, you know, live uh, premiere type, freaking broadband channel, so the whole world will rule the world. <laughs> you know, could get to see John. Make Arnold no simple stick. plans, my friend. <laughs> it was, well, no. When I go for things, I go big. I don't go, you know, I don't do small time stuff. Yeah, I want to go bus. majorly <laughs> because it was, was going to be a world event to be able to see UFOs live. Yeah. Right there on your television and your uh, <laughs> internet website. So Vista Pro, I think it was called. Vista, Vista Vision. Anyway, I contacted these people, the CEOs. And since I was partners with Walson, every communication. I mean, I didn't send them the communication with these people. But I said, look, I've contacted this guy and this guy and this guy. Here's the phone numbers. You know, because we're partners. All right? I'm not having anything to hide. Feel free to call him if you have any questions, technical, and that kind of stuff. So... When he fell out with me, for whatever reason, he uh, uh, con- he made an email. He sent an email out, and he contacted one of the guys in New York, the CEO of this company. And I'll never do that again, damn it. I mean, <laughs> partners are partners, investors and all that. Forget you. I am not giving you the name of the contacts that I've got because hell no. If you ever, if you ever turn a twisted sister routine on me, <laughs> you're gonna throw out stupid. You know, you'd be contacting them and, and just, you know, forget you. From now on, no more Mr. Nice Guy. I was just being nice with this idiot. And uh, he contacts him. He says, he's ripped me off of millions of dollars. Now, the guy in New York knew I was not making millions of dollars because he helped me hook up the pay-per-view thing and the broadcast channel, uh, the broadband channel on a cheaper way because it was through his system. So he knew exactly the kind of money that we made. I mean, you know. He just talked to the wrong guy. <laughs> then he goes out, and God, I wish I was on the other computer. I'd, I'd send you this. It's hilarious. <laughs> S- sends out an email to all the contacts that he's got, and it, he CCs me in Santiago Ituria, and he says, Dear Mr. President Bush, <laughs> oh my. I have been ripped off by Jose Escamilla and <laughs> He owes me millions of dollars. This is for President Bush. Thank you for contacting me. And I go, bullshit. And he said the same. And it just goes on through all this oh my God. craziness, you know. Like I said, hey, he's a hey. child. And he passed I'm going to tell daddy on you. Then he, then he made up his own uh, replies. 
Like <laughs> President Bush says, don't worry, we're on him. We're gonna get him. <laughs> I'm serious. I am serious. And a reply from my CEO in New York. But the guy says, you don't worry. We're going to hold your money for you. <laughs> I'll tell you what. This guy has sock puppets and he plays with them. This I guarantee is great. Oh, man. You know, <laughs> somewhere, somewhere in his uh, pedigree, he's got a Sasquatch. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I said before. I got cousins. That look like <laughs> I love that. Mm. I love Not that. Not debunk Sasquatch. So this mm. MF has a Sasquatch somewhere <laughs> along his line. We're going to call this episode Jose Unplugged. Unplugged, <laughs> man. You were just beautiful. <laughs> you know what? We were talking. We just had a Sasquatch. We just had a Sasquatch. We were talking about yeah. Sasquatch right beforehand. Yeah, fine enough. And you know what I'd like to do? You know who Tom Biscardi is? No. Uh, he was the guy who spent the 50000 and got burnt on that. He bought the fake Sasquatch. He bought the fake oh. suit. <laughs> Is that the guy with the, the refrigerated? Yeah, right? he's the guy that spent the 50000 for it. <laughs> for an old refrigerator. Oh well, I was going to try to have him on, too. I was on his radio show. But he's a real <laughs> investigator in this in Sasquatch-related. Well, you scenarios. ever get him on, you can have, I'll come on and, and tell him, hey, I got cousins. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll bring you to their house. <laughs> You can take photographs with them, you know, they look like, you know. I love it. See, Sasquatch, hell, I just had dinner with them last night. What are you talking about? Yeah, hell about? yeah. You know, I have beans and tortillas, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. His mom can make some kick-ass violas. <laughs> and, and mole. And mole, <laughs> yeah. And mole, her recipe, her recipe is phenomenal, and she won't end it out. <laughs> oh boy, can you imagine what the heck? I don't know. You know the thing is, they stink so damn bad, and oh, like, I don't know if Jose I'd eat mole from them. You're telling me we're getting Jose on again, and I'm waiting for this impressive oh, talk. Yeah, it, <laughs> it is we, the best. And we go into a comedy. It's skit. the best. It's the best. <laughs> Hands down, this is gold uh, radio. He's like Abbott and Costello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is oh. beautiful. Hey, I just looked it up on Google. It's how to collimate. Collimate. Oh, yeah, there you go. Your your Newton reflector telescope. The hell kind collimating. Of word is that? Collimating. Yes. If you don't collimate your telescope correctly, <laughs> you're screwed. Yeah, it has sexual connotations. It's, it's, to it's in the cauliflower family. <laughs> it sounds titillating. I'm collimating yeah, well, my collimate, telescope. Collimating. <laughs> Did you notice Some that uh, astronomers are very thing. difficult when it comes to accepting the reality of Anything. unidentified aerial phenomena? Astronomers are the worst. They're the worst, hands down. Well, you know, one of the things that I experienced over at Midway and Roswell is we're, you know, we'd actually be filming these objects right there, and I'm talking, they were right there, broad daylight, and one of them we followed, and it landed on top of a church roof. <laughs> okay. And Damn. I go, and the church roof is right across the street from us. It's about nine hundred yards. So it landed there, and we're filming it. And I'm, and I go, you know what? Stay here. I'm gonna go over there, and see this thing close up. But you know, as you get there, the freaking roof is about twenty feet above you. So I lost sight of it. All right. So I pull back, and I still see it. And it was a round freaking orb. It looked like a, looked like a balloon, but perfectly round. And it was see-through, all right. 
And I'm looking at it, and this this thing just vanishes. It just disappears before my very eyes. And my brother was filming it from back. We only had one camera. He was filming it from back across the street. I saw it right there. It was a it was a round, perfectly round, translucent orb. Okay, and it just vanished, zipped. Now when I got back, to my brother said, "What happened to it, man? It, it just vanished." He says, "No, no, it took off to the left." So I go. Holy shit, man, this thing took off hauling ass. <laughs> and you can see it on the video. It just takes off to the left. Now, the sun was hitting it, all right, a certain way. So it was just brilliant. It was just a bright light. And that's what I, when I got close to it. It just turned out to be uh, uh, translucent. It looked like glass, you know, like a vase. Yes, and many a time you hear about the glass beads. And uh, in 2004, we have a lot of this footage of these things up in um, Wisconsin, and that's exactly how I describe it, as like a glass bead. And, yeah. and what's funny is the way it reflects the sun, it almost makes a, a halo around it, almost as if it's in a, uh, a globe itself, like it's in the inside of a globe or inside of a halo. It surrounds it at, uh, at a greater distance. Yeah, well, what I was trying to get at is this thing, we thought it was way up there. We thought it was like miles above us, hmm. and it must have been huge, when in fact, it turned out to be just a small orb of some kind. Hmm. So a lot, of these, a lot of these UFO sightings are forced perception. They might be closer to you than you think. There's absolutely Just like that cloud. When you look at that cloud thing in the sky, it looks like it's a distance away until it freaking lands in front of the yeah, car. I, I mean, you know. So there's a lot of stuff that's out there that it's, it's a perception of ours that we have to look at because a lot of these UFOs might be right there in your face. You don't realize, you know, the value of uh, triangulation, getting things, multiple sets of, of footage from multiple uh, people independently and from different varying perspectives and angles that really pays off. And also, if, if you have the luxury of having two camcorders that are side by side and you can film in stereo, yeah, yes. uh, that allows you to get perception. However, if you shoot in the sky in stereo, you have no reference for perception. You're still filming against a clear blue sky, and that object could be 10 feet away, it could be 1,000 feet away. Uh, you have no way of measuring, even if you're shooting in stereo. Unless you're lucky enough to have it go in and out of a cloud or something where you can actually measure. There you go. If there's clouds, maybe so. That's actually the, the UFOs I caught. That's how I met Sam, actually. One of them goes in and out of a cloud, so you actually can t determine the height. Well, now, according to this footage of that one cloud that lands, maybe the clouds aren't that far away. <laughs> I saw that I'm one. That's confusing people now. That is really confused. They're just jerking. That looks me. just like a cloud, and then it lands and hits that uh, fence and starts to unroll like cotton candy or like almost like soap. It's weird. Uh, as far as your your buddy there using the third generation night vision and seeing these objects fighting in the sky, have you seen any of that? You know, I've been. Hanging out with Ed Grimsley too much. <laughs> he's a character. I don't know if you've ever met him, but boy. No. He, he's a wise ass. He's, he's one of these guys that you go, damn, why am I even here? 
You know, I've determined one thing from this interview, Sam. We what? definitely have to go see him. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> yeah. I wanted yeah, to visit. Yeah, there's guys that you meet. <laughs> yeah. This is there's, just there's way people, cool. There's, there's, there's people you meet in life. You go, why am I in the same room? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, Grimsley's the nicest guy and everything else. He's just a character. You know, he's just a uh, man. He's a, he's, he's a character. <laughs> That's all I can say. But uh, I've looked at I've looked at all the, you know, green, you know, the goggle stuff that he's shot. You know, the uh, infrared and not infrared. It's uh, night vision. Yeah, third generation. And yeah, I've vision. seen objects hauling ass, man. It's like zipping through the scene. And he saw his first rod. You know, he was really incredulous with me when he first met me. He said, "Oh man, those are nothing but insects." I go, "Man, I had to just bitch slap you right now. And get it over. I'm gonna be hanging with you, you know." But he said, "Man, I, I've seen insects like that on film. And, you know, wow. Okay." And he's always maintained. He said, "Well, you know, Escamilla and his insect rods, and you know, he's a wise guy." But one night he was out somewhere in uh, Northern California with his night vision team. Okay, and they were shooting towards this cave opening. And guess what flew right at him and right over his freaking natty head, man? A rod. And it was a three-foot. Wow. Yeah, About three foot right long? Over, flew right over his brain cap, you know? <laughs> Zap! And he saw it, and so did his team. So that was his first rod. He says, this thing came right over me. And he said, it was not a bird. It was not a bat. Because he's always trying to debunk himself so that he looks legitimate. Oh yeah, yeah. That's not oh, even. that's a bird. That's yeah. a bird. It's a damn UFO, and he calls it a freaking bird, right? So he does that, you know, occasionally. But this thing flew right over his head, man. I mean, it came right at him, and it was faster than anything he's ever seen. But he saw it in night vision, so that immediate he called me immediately. Hoser, guess what I just saw? And I go what? A rod. And I go well. So I've seen hundreds of them. So what's your your beef? It's real. <laughs> this stuff is real. What do you think I am? You know, BSer, man? Come on. So anyway, he saw his first rod. So now he's a rod. He's a fellow rod man. Now, but, you know, people people just got to tune, tune in. That's all. Now, I have so many people come up to me and said, I've gone through that footage. I've gone through that. They're just insects. They're just insects. Well, they're not. <laughs> How distinct diff how much of a distinct difference is there would you say when you evaluate it um at high speed is it it's obviously different right yes i have a um i have a shot taken uh, at a golf course and unfortunately until i paid them five thousand dollars they know it's a it's a rod in high speed it was shot at five thousand frames per second wow. which is great and there's an insect in the scene there's a golf ball traveling at about 85 miles an hour and there's this rod that just hauls through the scene all right jose we're gonna have to take a real fast break we'll be right back to listening to threshold radio TheEdgeOnAir.com and Thresholds into Other Realms present Thresholds Radio, a weekly show dedicated to all things paranormal. Join your hosts Sam Moranto, John Stevenson, and Anthony Kopp Fridays from 10 to 11 p.m. for an expedition beyond your most unexplainable dreams. With new guests every week, Thresholds Radio will bend your views on reality. That's Friday nights 10 to 11 on TheEdgeOnAir.com. For more info on Thresholds Radio, visit ufo info 
your meeting in the cemetery. I don't have to tell you anything. Welcome back to Thresholds Radio. And Jose has many more interesting um, stories. Jose, you were talking about the moon and the colors of the moon. This is something that most people don't even know about. They think it's black and white, and obviously it isn't, correct? Correct. And uh, this is what I've been uh, promoting and presenting since 2009, Moon Rising. I show, it features a lot of full-color footage that I had barely discovered right before I released Moon Rising. Since then, I made a movie called Luna, which is all about the color of the moon. And I'm doing another one called Celestial, which is going to be out later this year. And I have a company that's working with me that's going to turn that movie into 3D, so you can see it in 3D in theaters with glasses or on your television set. So I'm excited about that project. But the moon is in full color. And recently, there's a guy in Bulgaria... That uh, I'm looking for his link. I can't find it at the moment, but he uh, figured out a way to film the moon through his telescope in full color, and this is going to turn around a lot of the astronomy idiots that are out there that are saying, "No, there's no such thing as a colored moon." Well, guys, wrong. <laughs> you missed that one. This guy's doing it, and he's got a way where he can film the moon in its full natural color, and it's exciting to me because it blows everything out right in the open. It shows you how astronomers are in cahoots in keeping the moon as a black and white desolate object. When it's a celestial body that looks like a small planet and it's the closest man. It's right there every day. We take it for granted and it's a full color entity. Alright so uh, and there's air up there, there's water, you can see it in the full color shots. This is come NASA has deliberately lied to you. I mean they, they've uh, kept the moon black and white since the get-go because when you see the stuff in color you start seeing air, smoke, water, clouds, you start seeing all these things. You see gold mountains up there <laughs> in the full color shots that I have. So uh, it's all there. I mean I have that, all that on my website uh, moonrising-themovie.com and also tblnfilms.com you can go in there. I even have a way for you to watch the moon in 3D without glasses. So, and these are full color shots, and you start seeing the structures that are there. So, uh, that's some of the latest things. I'm uh, also putting together, uh, like I said, UFOs from Outer Space, and that's going to be one of the biggest movies, I think, one of the best films ever done on all the UFO activity that's happening in space. I have uh, Kerry Martinek that's co producing and directing with me, and he's got the goods, man. He's, he's bringing some stuff to the table that's just going to freak a lot of people out. It's going to include uh, the interstellar stuff, as I said earlier. Uh, it's going to include the sun, uh, the objects that are re revolving around the sun, orbiting, and then also the things that are coming in from way out in deep space. And I'm sending you right now the website so that your viewers and listeners can check out. It's called sky-map.org. And I'm sending that to you right now, guys. I'll put that so you can in the post website that. later today. Good. And let me get you some coordinates so you can right away freak out, man. You guys are going to freak. There's objects that are coming from deep space past Pluto. Uh, one object is like um, is is lar larger than Jupiter. Oh, there's one object that seems to be the distance from Earth to Jupiter. Oh my gosh! It's that it's that long. Wow! Imagine that. <laughs> 
<laughs> I definitely don't want to encounter that one. Imagine that hitting Earth. <laughs> now, is that coming towards us? Which is they're coming towards Earth, and it's supposed they're supposed to arrive according to the scientists. Um, they're coming. Uh, they're going to arrive around um, um, twenty twelve, December twenty twelve. <laughs> Imagine now, that! I, oh my! What a coincidence! Let me now, figure that according, out. <laughs> that's according to these scientists. Here, I just sent you SkyMap.org, and these are coordinates. Okay. So much for my four hundred one k. <laughs> these are all the coordinates so everybody can have fun waste a lot of time at your work so this means like next up. november go out and buy that yacht you always wanted <laughs> so you can uh, check these out man it's, they're amazing do you There's think we're considered out. good eats in the universe do you think we're on somebody's <laughs> menu i think we're uh definitely somebody's chow down man <laughs> really and that could be why we're all getting so fat. They're yep. feeding us They're like feeding us. prized cattle. <laughs> yep. Time to harvest. Nope. <laughs> but you also have to look at the other side. I mean, there may be aliens that are good being positioned as being bad. I mean, last night, I didn't get to see this because I was working, but last night they showed a program on Discovery Channel about what if we were under an alien invasion? Yeah, and I they, heard about that. They presented what would happen if aliens attacked us. So for them to make a movie like that, I mean, why are they doing this? I mean, there's yeah. already movies, you know, like Cowboys and Aliens, which I like that film. It's a good entertainment film. Two thumbs up. At the same up. time. Mm -hmm. Huh? Two thumbs up, and I have another appendage Absolutely. up for the actress. I thought it was all right. right. Yeah. Uh, Olivia like, Wilde definitely is hot, though, yeah. It's <laughs> a kind of movie like uh, Tremors, you know. It, it lasts, mm -hmm. you know. It's like, hey, it's a fun film to watch. But it also depicts aliens as being evil and bad. Well, they're and they're out together. Well, well, here's the thing. You know, the whole thing, Eve, I, I don't like to use terms of, of good and bad because they're dichotomy. I like to use more descriptive terms. And I think, you know, it, it's just a matter of anybody's agenda and as far yeah. as how we fit into that agenda. You know, one day we could be completely benign, not involved in it whatsoever. The next day we're in the crosshairs for one reason or another. And... Um, it's just a matter of comfort zone. I always say, picture the cougar chasing the rabbit. Well, it's not too good for the rabbit if he catches him, uh, but it's great for the cubs sitting in the den at home. So it's just a matter of who you are in that picture and at that time. So, it's a matter of our perception, isn't it? Yes, and that is perception is our reality. So here yeah. we are. We have things of unknown origin. Uh, or out there, coming in past the um, past Pluto and uh, the Oort clouds, and they're massive. And this isn't the first time we've heard about this. Now, is this, do you think, part of uh, Nibiru, part of uh, the Elohim? Is it a fleet? Is it objects? Is it all the above or unknown or combination of things? Who knows? But apparently there is something, something out there. We never know something happening, and uh, these objects appear to be on their own. I mean, they're rogue objects coming in. So, and they're huge, man. Well, there's something really large by the sun because I was telling Sam. That's I think a, earlier today that somebody's got a very nice camera set up, and they've been taking pictures of the sun, and all he does is run a filter through it, and you can see a huge. It appears to be a planet right next to it. Oh, there's Mercury. Yeah, right by the sun. <laughs> no, I mean, it's right there. At, bigger than Partially Mercury. covered by the sun, like it's right coming this way. Yeah. 
Don't know, but there's something out there. We've had a hell of a lot of uh, inner, uh, you know, near-Earth objects right. come in. That's in what fact, it is. some of the UFO cases that I've worked on were actually just meteorites, but a hell of a lot of them. Um, yeah. In, in fact, I've seen an, a beautiful green meteor come in, uh, crash no more than, say, three miles away from here. I wish I could find the damn thing. Yeah, they're worth um, money. Yes, they are. That's what we were talking about changing our careers. <laughs> we, yeah. we saw that Meteor Hunter show, and we decided that's what Sam and I are going to do for a living. <laughs> but here we have something bigger. There is, they're bigger than Earth, apparently. Yes, yes. They're, they're larger than Jupiter. How, are you think they're larger than your buddy's stories, uh, the vase maker? Yeah, these things are huge, man. I'm sending you a video clip of some of them here so that I find it. That's cool. That's why he sounds preoccupied. He's preoccupied. Okay, Jose, your, your website is? I'm sending you the website. It's tblnfilms.com. That's Tom, Bob, Larry, Nancy, those four letters, T-B-L-N, and then films, you know, like movies, films, F-I-L-M-S.com. All right. Well, thank you very much. That was a great interview. Jose S. Camille, everybody. We'll be right back. You're listening to Threshold Radio. TheEdgeOnAir.com and Thresholds into Other Realms present Thresholds Radio, a weekly show dedicated to all things paranormal. Join your hosts Sam Moranto, John Stevenson, and Anthony Kopp Fridays from 10 to 11 p.m. for an expedition beyond your most unexplainable dreams. With new guests every week, Thresholds Radio will bend your views on reality. That's Friday nights 10 to 11 on TheEdgeOnAir.com. For more info on Thresholds Radio, visit UFO-info. Welcome back to Threshold Radio. Here we are with Farland Huff, our good friend and correspondent from the hot southwest. Oh, my God, Farland. You're getting a cold spell hey. down there, huh? Oh, man, finally a little bit of relief. We did get a about a half inch of rain, and that was very welcome, and the temperatures have dropped by a whole 10 to 12 degrees. We're only going to be 100, 101 for the rest of the week. <laughs> I bet that rain evaporated before it even hit the ground. Yes. Well, that has happened several times throughout the summer, but we finally did get some rain. Great. Now, with that rain, what are you going to do with it? Bottle it up and uh, <laughs> store it for a while, well, or what, what do you think? It, it just soaked into the ground as soon as it hit. It, <laughs> I'm sure. It's gone. It's like a big cracker out there. Jeez. There are several of those. That's horrible. It appears your uh, squatch hunting has been impeded by this un unusual weather. Oh, definitely, definitely. And uh, but, but still, you can try to figure out how to use that to your advantage if, if you want to look at it that way. I mean, uh, it is a drought, so if you find a good source of, of fresh water, you've got a good chance that something's going to come up to that area. So we, we did have a, a pond that is usually spring-fed. I believe the spring had even gone dry for the summer, but there was still plenty of good drinkable water in this pond, and it was good clear water, not muddy water. And so we just kind of um, set ourselves up with a makeshift camp. We only stayed in our camp at night. It was just too hot to be there during the day at all. We would just come back in the evenings. And and uh, we did hear a couple of wood knocks and, and a couple of vocalizations. Best thing that happened happened to my oldest son. And, and it was just great. If you got time for that story. Go right ahead. 
Okay. Well, he came up to see me, and uh, he's an Iraqi war veteran, decorated hero, actually. And so he has seen a lot of a lot of action, and he's not afraid of anything too much, but he is afraid of Bigfoot. <laughs> and he decided to bring his little uh, four-wheeler up with him, and he got a little antsy about 10 p.m. one night, and so he put, put it off on this thing in first gear. And I noticed he got down into this bottom, and I'm, I'm just watching. All I can see is his headlight. There's no moon out yet at all. And I noticed that he was he was shining his headlight on some deer, kind of aggravating them. And I thought, man, you need to stop before you get one of these deer injured. And so then he put, put it on over to another part, and I thought, man, he's going to be down there a while. So I went back into the cabin where we were staying in the daytime. And lo and behold, just a few minutes later, he comes running in the door in the cabin, and he's like, Dad, it nearly caught me. I said, no, it didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did it. It nearly, it nearly got me. I said, no, no, son. If it had wanted to get you, it would have gotten you. <laughs> Bigfoot. And uh, I said, what happened? And he had just gotten up to this pond dam, and he was just about to start across the dam, and there at the edge of the dam and beside the pond is a, a, a bunch of woods, and we've heard Bigfoot in there before. We've actually seen their eyes shine in there. And I think it's a, a it's a point where a sentry, if you want to call it a sentry, can can sit there and keep an eye on the whole entire operation there. So anyhow, he's just about to start across the dam, and he hears these heavy footfalls and this this heavy breathing running right up to him. It's just boom, 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 and it's just right up on him. He knows that it's just right there. And the only thing that he can see is where his headlight is shining, and this is behind him. And the hair on its legs probably touching his back fender. <laughs> so he just gives it all the gas that he can, and he, without wrecking, barely made it back to the cabin, and I think he jumped off the thing before it came to a complete stop, and that was the story. <laughs> that would scare the crap out of you. <laughs> I, think, I think it did exactly what it wanted to do. You shouldn't have been messing with those deer like you were. Yeah, I guess in, in Washington State, you cannot um, mess with Sasquatch. I guess that's a, you can get a fine for tormenting with Sasquatch. Did you know that? <laughs> I know that there's some counties that have, have laws on the books, and that's great, and they've been there for some time now. You know, here we have uh, these, these animals. There's by no doubt these things exist, and there's probably a multiplicity of of types of animals uh, that would fall into these categories, but they may be um, there may be more variations than than what we originally have thought, wouldn't you say? Yeah, there may well be, and uh, I don't know if you've been following anything on the internet. So at this point, it's all just rumors. But I know that there is a DNA project going on, and I am not associated with any group. I'm not a, a spokesperson for anyone, so. And there's not been an official statement made from the people that are doing the research. So as far as I'm concerned, it's all Internet rumors. But as the rumors go, apparently um, they have sequenced both the mitochondrial and nuclear DNA. So they got mama uh, and papa. Yes. And uh, it's from several hair samples that were submitted by field researchers and field researching groups. And so... These hairs have been identified as unknown primate hair. I mean, it, they don't match anything. They're not human hairs. 
They're not any other animal hairs. They are unknown primate hairs. And several of the hairs still had the follicle attached. So from that follicle, they were able to get the DNA. But they conclude, they get any conclusions on what it is yet? Well, that's the thing. There's not been an official statement, so I keep stressing that. They are due to make a press release, but they're going to make it when it's the proper time to do so. I think what they're doing is uh, this research group is going to present to the media a peer-reviewed paper. Thereby, you know, all of the questions, all the accusations have already been addressed. When, When people start trying to tear this research apart, at least they've already got the peer review paper. So other other scientists have checked off on the way the work was done. There's some and rumor uh, that the doctor herself, and I believe it's a herself, that is uh, the lead um, doctor on this case. Is that is that not true? Uh, it's a Dr. Melba Ketchum, and uh, that's who has the laboratory down in Texas. And, uh, and supposedly she is the one that's there's that's holding this back i don't know you know you hear well, yeah i think things. that she's she's waiting for everything to be in place like it needs to be because you just can't make a, an announcement like this and, and expect it to be taken seriously enough without having a peer-reviewed paper correct and uh, the internet rumors are and this is from people that i guess were associated with the project at one time but then left for one reason or another if that's the case like I said, it's all rumor. Um, the leak is that the mitochondrial DNA is human from one female. And it's from a female that existed in Europe back ten to 15,000 years ago. It's hmm. interesting. And they're not, there's no leak on what the father's DNA is. So we're all waiting to see what that is, but Probably apparently Italian this, this, that's that what hair. is uh, <laughs> <Italian>. <laughs> if all of this is true. <laughs> John says probably Italian with all that hair. <laughs> I don't know. Jose Escamilla, you said that some of his relatives look like Sasquatch. <laughs> so we all have those. We all have those, <laughs> yes. Those are the scary well, ones love. you see at I the beach. I love telling people every non-African person alive today has 1 to 4% Neanderthal DNA in their own DNA. And really? people just Some people have a lot more. Yes, <laughs> and and, and uh, that's because the people that, that stayed in Africa never mated with any Neanderthals. The people that left Africa and went up to uh, the Europe uh, areas and the uh, Asian areas where the Neanderthals were, or Middle Eastern areas, they, they mated with the Neanderthals, and I think it must have been to the point that the Neanderthal population was totally absorbed into the human population. There may have been a time where all the uh, people that existed in those areas may have been half Neanderthal and half human, but the humans kept coming and kept coming, and every, and they just kept absorbing until now all we have is 1% to 4% Neanderthal DNA in our makeup. But the Neanderthals are not our ancestors, they're our cousins. And we've just totally absorbed them, much like the uh, Native American population has been absorbed in the United States. Yeah, all these Cro-Magnums show up at your front doorsteps. <laughs> what are you supposed to do? You can only kill so many, and it gets to be a, a task after a while, a while you know. And, I guess uh, so. That's how it is, I think, with a lot of these 
war, you know, after wars, people get left over. It's like, eh, what the heck, why kill him? He's got some muscles, or why kill her? She looks good, you know. Heck, you know, the, well, my a, son needs a, a, a wife or whatever. Well, right. Plus, there's always the, the cave the cave drawings that they've interpreted that, uh, you know, once you have meander, you never meander. Something like that. I don't know. <laughs> once you have meander. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, that's a beauty. Is that, is that actually one they wrote, wrote saw in the cave? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, it's like, gosh. I, I think they found one that said Kilroy is here, too. <laughs> Do you remember those from the 70s? Oh, yeah. Kilroy was here? That was on everything. Well, Kilroy was from the Second World War. Yeah. It was uh, a very popular thing. Started by the GIs. They they would put them all over in bathrooms. and <laughs> I don't know who, Kilroy, who started Kilroy, but it got around the world pretty darn quick. Wherever a GI was, so was Kilroy. <laughs> and uh, do you remember that? Those drawings. I've heard about it. Yeah, they were all over the damn place. But you're younger than me, so everybody's younger than me. Jeez. <laughs> the um, everybody. Well, not everybody. I mean, you had a grand- not You had a grandfather, me. right? Yeah, I believe I did. I yes. think he was Once older. Part time. <laughs> yes. The um, now, as far as some of the, um, you have a website too, don't you? Oh yeah, I. Uh... I just share some of the photographs and, and things that I've encountered out in the field, and uh, my website is bigfootphoto.net. I think we have it on the and, website uh, already, too. I'm also too. looking forward to going to this Hovenubby, um, Oklahoma, Sasquatch Conference. And it just so happens, Dr. Melba Ketchum is on the lineup of speakers. There's also going to be uh, Scott Nelson. He's a, a retired crypto-linguist from the Navy, and he has been studying uh, recordings of Sasquatch, and he's determined that this is definitely a spoken language. Cool. He wasn't expecting that. He he was just kind of studying it for the fun of it because his son asked him to, and that he was amazed with what he heard and what he noticed. And uh, it's going to be a great little conference, and that's taking place uh, September 30th and October 1st. Well, I hope you would time. be our... Uh our official ear and maybe we could have some recorded interviews um, cool. with some of these folks uh, if you don't mind handling that for us being our guy in the field in that neck of the woods Sam you realize if that's an actual spoken I will effect? try to do that and uh, I'm sure there sometime in the future there'll be some uh, video show up on YouTube there's someone always Farland, if that's an actual spoken language, I mean, there's a chance that we can actually learn to speak it or someone couldn't possibly even communicate then, right? Exactly. And and, uh, he's he's also showing that when he puts these recordings into his computer program and he slows it down, that's what the program does. It slows it down, breaks it apart. They're actually speaking some English, too. Really? That only makes sense to me. I mean, they've been studying us. Forever, they probably are experts on human behavior. They just watch us all the time. So I'm sure they watch people in their yards at these rural locations, just telling each other "bye, see you later." How they call their dogs up, all these things. I'm sure they've picked up on a lot of that. It only makes sense that you'd want to know what these people are saying because you're trying so hard to avoid them. That'd be cool. So they probably know get a beer and things like that then, <laughs> since they listen to yeah. us at our picnics. <laughs> well, they even mimic oh, yeah. the uh, the tone voice and in, in, in such a, a way that they're able to um, 
basically um, mimic perfectly, darn near perfectly, many animals. And uh, from what some people say, that they've even they even mimic the uh, people. In other words, uh, Shelley was saying that she was hearing her mother call her, and it wasn't her mother calling her, and I'm certain it was them. Um, oh, there's other reports of that. It's not a monster movies. Yeah. When your mom calls There's a report where a, a guy was hunting with his son one day, and uh, and then the father Come came there. back later alone and was hunting, and he was hearing his son, his son's voice, calling his name. Hmm. Hmm. Terminator. So, yep. Terminator. <laughs> a, lot of would argue that, a lot of people would argue that's paranoia and schizophrenia, but uh, that's not what we're talking about. No, it's something that's able to mimic, you know, exactly or, or very closely. Right. Um, they're smart. These things are smart. Another thing yeah, I was going to ask you is, and this is something we touched upon briefly yesterday, is is there potentially something with an involvement of extraterrestrial or interdimensional? And this is something that you've read about, you've heard about. Uh, I, I know in some instances these footsteps of theirs may go so far that all of a sudden just disappear. I've, right. I've heard of instances like that, or they seem to crawl into something. Um, There's and a lot of reports off. like that, and so many researchers are, are just afraid to even touch on that. But if you've got so many reports coming in like that, why why are you, is it being ignored? Exactly. But, the, um, I think it's taboo. Are having, oh, yeah. Well, researchers are having such a hard time being taken seriously anyway that they'll just kind of just stay away from those areas and uh, hopefully when this DNA release is made it, uh, it's just going to change everything. It's, it doesn't prove that there's a Sasquatch unless there's a body, unless they have a body to match the DNA to, but it does prove there's something out there. It's it's more than just an unknown primate here, it's day. So well, the, the on that note... going to have to be taken seriously. Oh, it does. I, I think it delivers what science demands. I, You know, biology may be the only science or one of the few sciences that demand a body, uh, per se. Now, in this instance, the the acquiring of a body, unless it died, you know, by its own means, own, you know, either committed suicide or just crawled by... Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if they have a high suicide rate or things that close but to But you human. murder them, and if it's yeah, that close to being human, it that may very well be a, um, some time in jail, if it, you know, well, at right. the very I'm, least. I'm, yeah, this, uh, all the internet rumors are pointing to them being in the genus Homo, so... Well... That, That'll do it, you know. And and uh, regardless what one may think, you know, um, we're out killing a lot of people that look different from us. But uh, <laughs> but I think they'll be a little more, let's say, compassionate to a Sasquatch uh, once somebody decides right. to put a bullet in one. And this is my concern too on these current cases that we're working on is to let anybody have an idea where these locations are. Um, you get some wacko that wants to go out and grab the body and, uh, you know, sell it, post it, whatever they do, Put just to freezer. get money. Put it in a freezer <laughs> and then swap it out with a um, a suit or something. And that may, may very well have been the case is what you were alluding to when it came to that episode in 2008. Do you think uh, 
there's any chance of that being legitimate? Oh, well, no one seems to be giving it any any credit once it was proven to be a hoax, but I know that those, at least one of those gentlemen is claiming that they actually had the body and that it was taken from them, that uh, they actually had a hard time getting the body out of the woods. They did have it in a freezer, and they're claiming that they were uh, approached by some type of government officials who took the body away from them and... Uh, I'm not sure if they were advised to make it into a hoax or if they just decided to do it on their own because of some threats they received. And uh, so I don't know. that. You know, you just don't want to be gullible past any certain point. Uh, You want to have an open mind, but not so open that your brain falls out. It's what they say. (laughs) So um, we'll just have to wait and see on that. I know that they may be trying to create some hype for a book, there might be a lot of truth to it. I'll just wait and see. Well, I talked to the gentleman who was actually put up the $50,000, as you know, when I was on his radio show, and I may be talking to him in a few minutes, actually, we'll see, um, or his uh, partner. But, um, you know, here, here it was uh, proclaimed to be a hoax. Uh the gentleman, Tom Scardi, was taken for $50,000 and um, says, without a doubt, these people hoaxed him. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> sure is that. That's one of the things. That's part of the argument that they're saying. They're saying, well, okay, if we did do that, where's the lawsuit? Because they're claiming they haven't been sued for any money. So where's the lawsuit? And not, you know, they make an interesting point. That's true. I'm just going to be cautious and, and just wait and see. Right. Both sides have an interesting um, case. Uh, and when it usually comes to that, it's better to walk away from it and say, well, something happened. Could have been just theater. Who knows? Um, but I hate to think poorly of people, but evidently well, people who insist on <laughs> being thought of that way Michael do Schirmer. exist. You know? So. <laughs> yep. Yeah, only except one person. Well, <laughs> but um, I don't think we're going to be disappointed with this DNA press release. I think that it's it's just going to be fascinating, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be a hard pill for so many people to swallow. I'm sure that it'll be a long time before they actually get to the end of trying to tear the research apart, try to tear the DNA apart. I'm sure they'll first start yelling, "Well, it's obviously contaminated," but it's going to be DNA, and it is what it is, and I don't know how long it'll take for all the squabbling to stop, but it's it's just to me it's going to be the discovery of the century. True. Now, um, do you think there is going to be an announcement at this meeting or at this convention? I don't know if there will be an announcement before or if they're going to wait and do it at the at the conference. All right. Well, thank you very much, Farlin. Farlin Huff, everybody. Uh, we hope you all enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week, Sunday, 7.30. Uh, if you can't make Sundays, Friday nights, theedgeonair.com. Go there from 10 to midnight. We have our new show. It's going to be brand new shows, Friday nights and Sunday nights, starting this week. And if you can't make any of those, hey, we archive them on, on ufo-info.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.